Reveille, reveille, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. It's Friday. You know what that means. Ain't got shit to do. Yes, we are coming back around again. This is for the people of the sun, the award-winning morning combat back in your face hole. Friday, November 4th, 2022. And let me just set this record straight. We got a great show for you. Looking ahead to the weekend UFC fight night. We got some boxing. Turning the page forward to next week's loaded UFC 281 and a special guest just seconds away. I'm Brian Campbell, the beige bastard, the BBC with that BDE, one half of your hosting duo. The man next to me is probably the reason why you came, right? We know why you stay, though, but uh, he is the fantastic fight analyst, the man who's never taken a pro fight and never will. It's Luke Thomas. Right. To I know how shitty I am enough to know that competing is not in my interest. How is everyone is. doing on this Friday? All right. Well, we're not going to sell people anything but a great show. And Luke, we have a fantastic guest. In fact, one of the brightest coaching and broadcasting minds in the sport of MMA today. A veteran of nine trips to the Octagon. And how about this? The co-host of Josh Cohen and the home team on ESPN Radio in South Florida. The, the sartorial splendor. Dean Thomas in the building. Let's bring him right in. Oh, live from the apex in Las Vegas. Dino, a pleasure on our end of the microphone here. Welcome to Morning Combat. No, no, no. It's a pleasure on my end. I'm always excited to be joining, especially Luke. Like you said, Luke is the man. So any chance I can get to talk to my man, Luke, I'm in. Yes, I'm like the scab on Luke Thomas's butthole. But look, look, Dean, we're going to get into uh, UFC 281. We want to get your thoughts, of course, on this women's strawweight battle this Saturday night at the Apex. But while I have you right here, man, uh, your transition into broadcasting, UFC weigh-in show, the desk on the ESPN broadcast, you chime in during fights. It's been fantastic to see. You got personality. You got style. How has this been as a uh, chapter two, you know, maybe three in, in the great career of Dean Thomas? Man, it's been great, I tell you, because I've always thought of myself as an artist and I like to express myself and I don't do it in fighting no more. So the, uh, the opportunity to get in front of a camera and talk and just be a clown, it just, I mean, I don't want to work a real job. So like, as long as I'm doing this, I'm good in life. <laughs> <laughs> it's working and luke is he in the damn cage are you in the are you in the octagon yeah he is he is in the damn cage he is there at the apex he told me that they call him sir dean whenever he walks around in the apex is that true dean no that is not true they it, it depends on who i'm with like when i'm with dana then they call me sir dean when i'm you know when i'm with a fighter they call me coach. <laughs> when i'm by myself they ask me for my credentials so that's how it is with me around here <laughs> There it is. Well, we, we we appreciate that you're willing to spend time with the scumbag MMA media, but you might be part of that in some degree, though, so we appreciate that. Uh, f final turn here before we get into the goods, though. Uh, could you describe what you're trying to do in terms of the style you're bringing to the air? Because, you know, we said off camera, I won't be surprised one day if you come in with Chippendale's cuffs, a bow tie, no shirt. You are pushing the boundaries forward, Dean Thomas. Well, first off, let me say this. I am proud to be a part of the scumbag MMA media. I know what you guys go through, 
and I'm going to own it because you guys go through a lot and I don't think it's fair. You guys get treated unfairly. So I'm a proud, I'm proud to be a part of that in terms of my style. I just like colors, man. I like to put together colors and I want to be memorable and I want people to talk about it. Like, man, did you see what he wore today? But I can't go too far though. That's the problem is I don't want to go <laughs> across the line, you know, and dress like Andre 3000 or nothing, but you know what I'm saying? But I don't mind putting together some colors. Good stuff, Luke. Take the wheel. Let's lead this man into the into the promised land. All here. right, so it, let's start with UFC 281, Dean. Let's start with obviously with the main event with Izzy and then Alex uh, Pereira. To what what is the chance? And I want to put it like this: like even off a caught kick, what is the chance that this fight at all ends up on the ground? You know, typically when you see two strikers and you think that it's going to be a stand up war, one guy shoots. And so I'm always thinking that a guy could shoot. I just don't know which one would shoot. So I don't think that there is a, a good chance that this fight ends up on the ground. I think this really does come down to a kickboxing match, one that I think Izzy's going to try to, you know, I think Michael Bisbing said that Izzy, he thinks Izzy's going to be more aggressive and not as defensive. I don't agree with that. I think Izzy's going to be even more defensive. I think he's going to be even more mm. slick, even more try to stay away from Adesanya even more and try to catch him, get him reaching. So I think that I don't think I don't see this fight going down to the ground at all. I think that if if unless somebody gets knocked down and they go down to finish, but I don't see this fight, you know, somebody getting knocked down and then somebody getting on top of them and then trying to pass guard or anything like that. I don't see that happening. I just see these guys just in a straight kickboxing match. So let me, let me one more follow up, if I may, which is: Have you watched their first two kickboxing bouts? And if so, did you have any like major takeaway from it? I did watch them. You know, the big takeaway for me is is the result, actually. You know, and that's something that has to stick with Izzy, is that he lost to this man twice. And I know what that feels like because I lost to Kyle Uno twice. And in some part of your mind, you almost accept that maybe I can't beat this guy. Maybe he just has my number. But the fact that Izzy called for this fight is impressive to me the fact that he said hey listen i want to fight this guy i need to prove that i can beat this guy that to me stands out and that's what gives him a chance because otherwise if he was like if they forced this guy on izzy then i would think man there's no way easy could beat him because mentally he can't get past that barrier that he lost to him twice well dean there's no shortage in this matchup of you know, prestige. It's Madison Square Garden. I mean, that you know, it still matters to me as a Connecticut kid. That building, and especially since UFC started coming coming to it in 2016, it's just been magic. But when you look at this matchup, particularly, I focus on what we don't know about Alex Pedeta that makes this so exciting. He's six and one in MMA. He's you know, not knocked out the guys that you would need to to get to this point. But there's still that large gap of. Has he fully adjusted to this sport? When you look at this matchup in your heart of hearts, maybe separate from Robert Whitaker, who's a former champion and as good as it gets, could this be on paper legitimately the toughest matchup is of Israel Adesanya's middleweight reign up to this point? I absolutely think it is, just stylistically. One, like I said before, the fact that he's beaten this man twice mentally, that has to weigh on Izzy somewhere inside, deep inside his mind. Like he may be able to hide it a little bit, but I think somewhere deep in there, it still lives, almost like Oliveira. We called him a quitter before, and then we said, no, he's not a quitter. Look what he did to Gaethje and Poirier. But then we found out last week, he's still a quitter. He tapped really quick. I think the same thing may exist in Izzy. 
He's got to have something in the back of his mind that's saying, man, I don't know if I can beat this guy. So I do think this is his toughest, toughest challenge because we haven't seen any elements of Izzy diversifying his game to deal with a guy like deal with a guy like uh, Pereira. I mean, he's just he's stylistically. I don't think it's a great matchup for Izzy. So, so Dean, in the second fight between them, here's what I noticed at least a little bit. What there was like, obviously, Izzy switches stances a lot, and Pereira's a little bit more. Uh, I won't say basic, but sticks to the fundamentals a little bit more. He doesn't have that flashy kind of style all, all over the place. On the one hand, when he was southpaw and he could win or at least you know duel with the lead hands, right? That seemed to put him mm-hmm. in a safe place. But then he got some of his best work done in orthodox with the rights over the top. What actually would be if you're if you're saying that Izzy's going to be defensive, and I have no reason to necessarily disagree? Do you think that that will impact what kind of stance he stays in? I think he'll switch no matter what. But do you think this time he'll rely more on Southpaw with the lead hand he can control? I don't know if he's going to rely on that because even though he can control that lead hand, I do think that the way Pajeda stands, he stands kind of square that having control of that lead hand may not even be all that much of an advantage. You know, if Pajeda, you know, was really linear, then it really plays a factor. But if he stands a little bit more square, I don't see that controlling that lead hand as being that big of a factor for him to make that much of an impact and change the course of the fight. Um, You know, I I think that what's really going to affect Izzy and really help him out and be influential is his movement. He's going to have to move a lot. And I think he's going to have to stick and move and stay focused and have fun out there. And that's, it sounds weird, but he's going to have to have fun. Okay, but help me understand why controlling the lead left hand wouldn't be beneficial with a square stance. I mean, here's why I bring it up. At a bare minimum, it always lets you know where that left hook is going to be when you're at, at range, right? So why wouldn't it be beneficial given how Pareda stands? Well, because if he's standing square, now if he's just controlling that hand, he still has three other limbs that he has to deal with, his two legs and the other hand. So just controlling that one hand, I don't think gives him that much of an advantage. Now, if he now if he's standing totally linear to the side and he's controlling that hand, you can see everything coming from the back side. You can see everything coming from the opposite side. But if he's standing a little bit more square, you are, he's not going to be able to see and control the the leg on the other side, the hand on the other side, and then the leg coming from the lead side. Just controlling that one hand won't do it. Dean, when you look at Adesanya's current reputation in the in the fans' eyes, right? On one hand, he's arguably the pound for pound best in this game, and this middleweight reign has been nothing if not historic. But you know, the fans want blood and knockouts and all those things that you could potentially get in the Dana White slap fight league coming up. So, you know, tune in, but uh, it's unfair in theory, because what Izzy's doing is great. I've long said here, look, if someone's going to make him fight, like let's say Kelvin, Kelvin Gastelum made Izzy fight at UFC 236, it might be Pereira. It's not just the, you know, the, the history between them having knocked out Izzy. It's just that threatening style of coming on. Um, I think we all agree. Like I said, it's unfair, but do you echo that the same that if somebody's going to bring out that Izzy, who we've seen before, that Izzy who's going to stand and trade, counter you, but look to get you the hell out of there, that 
you have no concerns putting your money down if you're a casual fan on the fence. This is the fight. This is what's going to have to happen for Adesanya to win. Talk me off that if I'm if I'm a filthy cashier, which is probably the truth. No, nah, I do think this fight is going to be a little bit more entertaining because Izzy's not worried about so many different aspects of the game. I don't think he's going to be worried about t- shoot uh, uh, Alex Pajada shooting on him. So I think he can be a little bit more, I don't want to say aggressive, but I will say active. I think his level of activity will increase because he's not going to have so many different things to worry about. He's only going to have to worry about legs and hands coming at him. So he's going to be more active. So in terms of the activity and the excitement of this fight, I can expect it to be a little bit more exciting than his typical fights. All right. Well, on that note of what we don't know yet about Pereira, Padeda. I, I butcher, I'll butcher anyone's name, Din Thomas. I'll butcher your name too, sir. Yeah, uh, what we I don't do know too. about Pereira at this point, what concerns you the most as an admirer of what Alex has done in the short window of MMA up to this point that has the best chance to potentially get exposed over five rounds against Adesanya? You know, what everybody thinks is that his wrestling, you know, we, we, we question his wrestling. Now, Adesanya is not the guy who may expose it. You never know. Maybe he has been. Maybe he's been putting on a singlet and working on his wrestling for a while. However, that's not what concerns me because he's been training with Glover Teixeira and Wellington Thurman for the last couple of years. And you can only imagine that he's had a heavy grappling influence on his style and being able to deal with that. What concerns me is how he deals with five rounds of getting hit with those small gloves and and, and a sharpshooter like Izzy. You know, Izzy is a sharpshooter. And if he starts touching you and making you look bad and embarrassing you, how does he deal with that in a place like Madison Square Garden? And that can be a lot on a person. That could be a lot. Like, you know, he has a lot of combat experience, but fighting in Madison Square Garden, like you said, is the mecca. That is the place where the fight gods live. So when he's getting embarrassed in there and the crowd's going crazy, how does he deal with that? Dean, in terms of any changes to the style between how Pereira kickboxed and how he strikes in MMA, are there any, to your mind, real big noticeable differences? You know, luckily he hasn't been fighting too many grapplers, right, guys who've been looking to take him down. So I don't think he had to make many adjustments to his stance when when he's in fights. He still stands pretty tall. He still strikes very loose and fluid until it's time to put the the shot out that he wants. I don't think it's changed too much. I don't think he's had to worry about that. And and I spent some time with him. I spent some time with him. I did a Dean Diaries on him, and it's coming out next week. So if there's a plug, that's my plug. Um, But he is extremely focused on his craft, and he's extremely measured. You know, he likes to do things like shoot arrows because of – the accuracy and the focus that it takes to do that. And he says it look, it reminds him of a fight. You know, I think he approaches everything the you same know, D- way, and that is with, with complete focus and intent and concentration. So that's, you know, I think those are the important things. Well, that was sort of my follow-up there, which is that when everyone talks about <clears throat> Pereira's game, it's always like, oh, he's got big power in that left hook. He's got big power, which, of course, is true. He really does. He has big power. But that seems to me like to miss what actually makes his game special. So tell me, Dean, beyond just the power, what makes his game so special? 
again, you know what? <clears throat> Excuse me. We oftentimes see what we see and then attribute it to what we see. And you're right. I don't think it's his power. I think he's he's big boned. He's got heavy bone structure, which helps in punching power. But I think it is his focus and his ability to hit the target where on the spot. Like he's always looking where he wants to hit. And that's the difference. Almost like a good pitcher. A pitcher, a good pitcher will put that ball exactly where he wants to. And I think that's what he does so well. Is and he doesn't distract himself with a lot of movement and stance switches. So he stands there, he looks at what the target that he wants to hit, and then he hits you with that big club of a fist that he has. And I don't think that he puts any effort or power into it. It's just he's so accurate and he's so determined to hit you exactly on the spot that he wants to hit you. Man, up and down, this card's fantastic. Uh, you know, when you get, for example, Chandler and Poirier together, you're going to get people craving action, the crossovers there. Do you think the the focus, the, the buzz has largely been on this Izzy matchup? I mean, it is the main event. Sometimes you'll have those quote-unquote people's main events that steal the thunder. And this one, I mean, it's got, look, the, the building, MSG is as big a star in this card. But have you heard, uh, you know, the necessary sort of hype and buzz outside of just us hardcores for this main event? Or, or is it something that's just like somewhat sliding under the radar in your eyes? Yeah, I'll tell you what, like that was more buzz about the Poirier Chandler fight when it was being made. And then now that it's made, it's like no one cares about it anymore. I don't know why that fight is not mm -hmm. getting a lot of buzz. Now, I can understand why Whaley John and Car Carla Esparza is not getting buzz. Carla Esparza is about to get her head cut off. So I can understand that fight not getting a lot of buzz. <laughs> but the Poirier Chandler fight, I don't understand why that one's not getting more buzz because that is not only an important fight for the lightweight division, but it's also an exciting fight. One that, you know, the fans and everybody wants wanted to see before it was made. Uh, Dean, I think you dropped something there. It was a uh, hard and fast prediction of the co-main event in the, and you know, my favorite division in the world, 115. Did I hear you say Whaley by head kick knockout to regain the championship? I'm not sure if that came through I the audio. That, I mean, pretty much. I, I think Whaley by anything she wants. I think Whaley is just going to run through Carla. Wow. No, you, you don't think the champ has good enough wrestling to at least make it interesting for a few rounds? No. No, I think Whaley. I, <laughs> in a wrestling match, in a wrestling match with singlets on, you know, Carla might beat her. But I think in MMA wrestling, when you add punches, I think Whaley's wrestling is even better than Carla's. All right, I want to come back to that, but I, I would rather stick with the Poirier and Chandler fight. Now, you know Poirier really well. Obviously, you were at ATT for a long time when he was at, I think he still is at ATT. Um, statistically, they're not all that different as fighters, but I think in practice, they are. How do you size up this one? And in particular, what is Poirier's main task in this fight? You know, I think Poirier's main task is to not get caught early. You know, and that is, you know, and that's the two ways this fight can go. This fight can go like if, because Chandler's so explosive. I mean, he's the better athlete. And Poirier has traditionally had trouble with guys that were faster than him. If you look back at his, his record, and it goes all the way back to Jason Young, uh, Michael Johnson, like all the, and Connor the first time, like all these guys were faster than him. And he struggled with that. And if he has that problem against Chandler, he may get knocked out early. So he's got to start a little slower than, than normal and be defensive. 
and get Chandler to get wild, which Chandler will because Chandler, I don't think Chandler's fighting for championships. I think Chandler's fighting for excitement and to build fans. So I think Chandler's going to come hard, come fast, and try to maintain that the whole time. So Poirier's got to be careful with that. So I think Poirier's biggest concern is to not get caught early, get this fight into a rhythm in which he's comfortable, and try to box Chandler. And if you're, I mean, that sounds like go ahead, that sounds like a great strategy on paper, right? But the problem with this fantastic group of aging, all action lightweights, some of them former interim champions, most of them have challenged for the belt, the Gaethje's, the Chandler's, the Poirier's. I mean, this, this, you know, we're coming off that incredible 155 era. These guys are still around. Is you know, it sounds great practice to hey, let's avoid the sex right away. But you 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 hang it on, on a on a bait on a fishing rod. I mean, Michael Chandler comes out with his rod exposed, just hanging it there. I don't know if Dustin Poirier can avoid that when things get hot and heavy on a platform this big. And you know, we could even argue that the winner could be in line for a title shot, specifically Chandler, who keeps pushing it. So when you're saying Poirier needs to avoid that, are we going the level of a shoot? Are we going the level of a takedown? How does Dustin Poirier uh, avoid that when Michael Chandler's coming out guns blazing? Well, he's got to like he's got to really avoid throwing punches early. Like that's it. He can't. He's got to be really defensive early. Use his footwork and shell up early and not throw a lot of punches early and just be on defensive mode early. I mean, really, that's it. He can't really throw anything more than one punch at a time, probably just a jab and do that early. Because I'm telling you, Chandler's coming hard. And we know this. Chandler is like, you know what, let's stand and trade and bang because that's where Chandler's mind is at right now. You know, Chandler's crying. He talks the whole title stuff, but I don't think he cares about that. I think he's trying to make as much money, trying to build his fan base up as much as he can, hang out with Grant Cardone, hang, do all the fun stuff. But I don't see, I don't see um, him taking on, you know, trying to pace himself to win a strategic battle and and fight a championship level fight. I don't see that happening. Now, with Poirier, Poirier has shown some maturity over the years. Like back in the day, Poirier would get sucked up into these these brawls, but he showed some maturity over the years, and I think that he may be able to show it. Continue to show that now. All right, so Dean, if you're Dustin Poirier, and your job early is to not get caught. Obviously, you can't just be entirely defensive, but you have to be much more defensively minded. Let's look to the second round, maybe even the beginning of the third, where it's really time to open up. Once it is time to open up, what kind of openings does Chandler leave? I mean, Chandler leaves a lot of openings. I mean, Chandler's not very defensive at all, and especially... The older Chandler got, I think, the more reckless he got. He's not very defensive at all, and I think that Poirier, especially if he starts, if he starts using leg kicks and and beating beating up the legs of Chandler early, it's like that's another strategy he can use. The jab, movement, and leg kicks. If he starts to do that early, he can get Chandler to start reaching and start making a lot of bad mistakes because Chandler will make a lot of bad mistakes the later the fight gets, and that's kind of historically been his thing, is that he makes a lot of mistakes. If you look back in even his days of Bellator. He, he don't mind making mistakes because he's normally able to compensate for the mistakes because of how athletic and how fast and quick he is. He can, he can make some mistakes. But against a guy like Poirier, who is a legit finisher, let's let's face it. If Poirier gets you hurt, he's going to finish you. Let's let's face that. If Poirier can just get him hurt, if he can wear on him, you know, be defensive in the first round, second round, wear on him and hurt him. Then the third round, he could put him away. But. If he can't get out of that first round without getting hurt, Poirier won't finish. 
How do you? Well, Dean, that's my. Go ahead. BC. That, sorry, Luke. That's my fear for 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 DP here is the mileage. Obviously, when you're in so many wars and so many of his great victories were fantastic wars, right? Max Holloway, Dan Hooker, another sleepy five round war. Not to mention Gaethje, Alvarez twice. So many of them. Considering, look, I thought he was going to go in there and beat Charles Oliveira, and that's a credit to the run that Charles Oliveira just put together. It, it some it became dramatic and historical out of nowhere. But is there a way to look back at the recent run, and especially those two McGregor fights for Poirier, and wonder if there's a little bit of fool's gold in there, considering McGregor's long layoffs, look, he's not what he once was, to the idea that at that point, beating McGregor twice in a row, coming into the title shot, I'm like, this guy's a Hall of Famer, an all-timer, he's in the pound for pound, I mean, this guy is everything. He went in there and he lost to Charles Oliveira, full respect. When you're putting two guys together who you know are going to go after it later in their career, which this matchup screams that... Is there fear that Poirier's a little bit more potentially shop-worn than Chandler and maybe more than we realize entering this? I know it's a delicate subject, but it's part of the breakdown looking into who's going to be the last man standing when these two throw. I, You know what? I don't think physically he's that much shop-worn. I think that in training, he's done a really good job of protecting himself in training and not doing these big hard camps and you know going back to Louisiana and just, you know, going rolling around with his buddies i think he's done a good enough job outside of the octagon of preserving his body and not putting a lot of mileage on it but mentally is where it really comes to play i mean this guy's been doing this a long time and i think mentally that we don't factor that in sometimes but mentally fighters can just lose a little bit of steam they get older they lose testosterone they have families they have daughters like poirier has a daughter and early it's easy to fight for her but then eventually you're like you just want to be dad and go to and you know start dressing her for prom so like some of those things can play a factor now from our perspective from our perspective when we look at these guys like Poirier and Chandler sometimes we base them on their reputation of what they've done and not where they're at in their careers right now so it's hard to tell where Poirier is in his career right now because if you look at his fight against you know Dan Hooker that's a fight I thought he probably should have put Hooker away, but he wasn't able to. And then he lost to Charles Oliveira. And not only did he lose to Charles Oliveira, but he showed a lot of hesitation. Like, he didn't even open up his guard to get off of his back. Like, those are signs that show that, you know, mentally, here's a guy who's not the same dog that he used to be. He could be slowing down a little bit. So those are factors that we have to kind of incorporate when we when we analyze this fight. Now, for 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 Michael Chandler, it's different. Because Michael Chandler is an entertainer. We have to put that in the, we have to factor that in. He is an entertainer. So while he may not be a dog and a killer at times, he's still always going to try to entertain. So those are the factors that we have to put in. Michael Chandler is always going to entertain and Poirier is always going to try to win. But I don't think the killer instinct may, may be there like it used to be. Is is a finish a virtual guarantee in that fight, or is there a real chance it actually goes the distance? No, I think there's a real chance it actually goes the distance, and the reason why there's a chance it can go the distance is I think Chandler can burn a lot of time with a takedown. Now, if it stays on the feet, I see it getting uh, being a finish, but I think Chandler will look for takedowns and will burn some time with takedowns. And if he can burn time with takedowns, obviously that eliminates time on the feet and, and, and lessens the chances of a knockout. But I see Chandler doing that. I don't see Chandler standing up with him the whole time. I think Chandler's going to realize he can't really box with Poirier if it turns into a boxing match. And Chandler's going to look for some takedowns and burn some time.
So, so quick follow-up on that, if I can. Last one on this one, which is, of the three main fights, so Chandler Poirier, Esparza, Zhang, and then uh, Izzy and Alex, of those three, which of them is likeliest to go the distance? Likeliest to go the distance? Um, yes. Probably. Oh, wow, that's a, that's a tough one. Um, I think that... Is he is he in Pereira is likely to go to distance? You know, I, even though it is five rounds, I think that is probably likeliest to go to distance because Izzy does a good job of not taking too many chances if it gets a little heavy for him. Like he's a he's done a good job of going, all right, you know what? Like I I'm not gonna get knocked out here. I'm not gonna let get, let myself get finished here. And I think that he would do that. I think Poirier and 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 Chandler would rather get knocked out than go to distance. I think if it comes down to it, they would be like, you know what? Let's just go out swinging it and get this bonus. But, and I don't see Whaley John <clears throat> and Carlos Barber. I don't see that fight going past two. So. Very interesting. Dean, there's a million other subplots and storylines on here that I could choose, but I'm really focused in particular on this Aaron, on this uh, M- Molly McCann Blanchfield fight because Molly's the biggest underdog on this card. She's about three to one. I mean, this card is very well matched. The odds are very close. But is this a potential referendum in your eyes? Because Aaron Blanchfield has a shutdown style that win against Miranda Maverick really opened her eyes to her potential. Molly's got spinning back fish. She's jumping in the crowd. She's riding on Dave Portnoy's shoulders. Her and Patty have a sitcom, a buddy sitcom seemingly brewing here. Is this like if you're going to be as good as your hype has allowed you to be? And by the way, full congratulations on Molly on these spectacular finishes that you don't typically see in the women's game. This is the boss at the end of the video game for her at this point, no? I mean, this is as tough of a matchup as she's had up to up to now. Oh, yeah, and she knows that. And I spoke to her about this. Like, Molly's a really good friend of mine. I actually helped her do some some research about uh, for this fight, too. So, um but the thing that, that the betting odds and that people don't know, you know, and I can give some insight here is that Molly is taking this fight a little bit more seriously than she has other fights. Like she knew it in other fights. It was like time to build a fan base, do some crazy stuff. Let's, you know, let's, let's, let's make it happen. Let's, but in this fight, she's like, you know what? I understand the magnitude of this fight. I know how good this girl is. And she, you're right. She's a, a shut you down type of fighters. Like she gets in your face. She barely backs up. Her transitions are fantastic. I'm watching her. I'm like, wow, like she's really good transitionally. Um, and Molly understands that. And that's the kind of the good thing. One of the best things in my career was Eve Edwards. Cause I watched Eve Edwards fight a lot of guys that I fought later. And by doing so, I was able to develop better strategies than Eve had. Cause when they would beat Eve, I go, this is why they beat Eve. I got to do something different. And I think that what Molly can do in this fight is go, I've watched this girl beat a lot of different girls in certain ways. Now I can game plan against that and be a little bit more disciplined in this fight, not throw spinning stuff, just keep it disciplined and beat this girl based on what I know she's good at, keep her away from them things and exploit some of her weaknesses. Dean, I'm going to read to you the odds here for UFC's 281 fight with Frankie Edgar. Okay. Let me pull it up here for just a second. So what we have with UFC 281, uh, let's see, here we go. They've got Frankie Edgar at a plus 175. Chris Gutierrez is a minus 205. Now, Frankie in his best day would make this, I think, relatively easy. But, of course, his best day is long since behind him. 
Do you agree with the odds where you got Chris Gutierrez, you know, almost a two to one favorite? Like, what in your mind, realistically, at this stage of his career, how winnable is this fight for Frankie? You know what? I don't think it's very winnable. I think that that's a kind of a generous odd for Frankie. I think we're we're giving him some favorable odds here, and even saying he's a plus seventy five. I don't think it's very winnable for him. I mean, we've seen him. I mean, he knows this is his last fight. In his mind, in his head, when he looks at himself in the mirror, he sees the same guy. And we all do. Like, I, you know, when I, I mean, I, I think I'm the same guy I was when I'm 20, when I was 25, but I'm not. And I think that's the problem with Frankie is that he knows this is his last fight. This is not his fight to win. And I think it's, a, I think we're being generous by giving him plus 75. I, I don't think there's a big chance of him winning this fight. I just, if there is, I don't see it. He's just a little too old for me right now. When you fought, last thing on this one, when you fought Georgie Karakanian, did you know going in that was your last fight? I knew that if I lost, it was my last fight. And then somewhere in that second round, I was like, I'm losing this fight. This is my last fight. <laughs> you know, I was like, All right, I, I checked out. You know, like when you check out, you check out. It's like like earlier, the first thing you said in the show, Luke, is that you know you ain't cut out for this to compete, right? And fighters know the same thing when they're done. They know they're not cut out for it. And sometimes they're doing it for a paycheck or sometimes they're just doing it because people expect it of them. But they know they're not cut out for it, but they're still doing it. And that's a problem. Now, for Frankie, I don't know if he realizes yet, but it'll 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 hit him. And he's going to be like, damn, maybe I shouldn't have did this. Dean, when uh, when fighters such as yourself go on to secondary fantastic careers, in the sport, but elsewhere, I think the biggest, you know, shame at times is the new fans. Like, we, Luke and I always say this. Mike Thomas Brown, our guy, right, from ATT, was an absolute killer. Nobody knows it. He's not on the internet putting out clips of himself. Dean Thomas could fight. You beat Jens Pulver. You beat Jeremy Stevens, Clay Guida. You beat UFC Hall of Famer Matt Serra by split decision in 2003. How often do you let that man know that you got the edge? that you got it in your back pocket. He's never beaten you, I Dean. Put, You've always beaten that man, okay? I got the I got the tattoo right here on my arm. It says it says hey Matt, I won. <laughs> I let I let Matt know. I got the tattoo on my arm. I let him know every time I see him. I got to I got to remind him. But you know what? I'll tell you what. The fact that I do have a career after fighting and a lot of people don't even know me as a fighter, I I find that as a compliment because it means that I could do my job independently of having the fight background and just having the fight background is just extra foundation. And it does separate me, I think, because I've been there and I've been there since the nineties doing this. Um, but the fact that people don't know that I fought, I find that to be a compliment. Do you, I like that. BC, do you want to, I, 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 I'm curious about tomorrow's main event, if if that's okay. Oh, please. Yeah. Tee that up, Luke. All right, so Dean, obviously you're at the apex. I'm, I'm assuming you're going to be working the desk on some level for this. Tell us in just a second. But we've got Marina Rodriguez taking on Amanda Lemos. Now, it seems like to me, Dean, correct me if I'm wrong, as long as it stays on the feet, it shouldn't be any way Rodriguez loses. But of course, Lemos does have a decent ability to get the takedown. And against Carla Esparza, excuse me, against... Uh, Cynthia Calvillo, they there was a lot of takedowns that happened there uh, against Rodriguez. So is this really a function of if she can stop the takedown, Rodriguez wins. If she can't, she won't. See, I, I think you you may be underestimating Lamos's power, man. Lamos got some power on her feet, man. And 
I think that could be the difference. You know, I don't know if I don't know if Marina Rodriguez has the has the real advantage on the feet. I'm watching them. I'm doing my studies today, and I'm thinking, and I love Marina Rodriguez. She's probably my favorite fighter in the division. But the power and the athleticism of Lamos could be the difference if she establishes that early, and and lets that be known. I mean, that could be the difference in this fight. I don't think it's necessarily to take that. I don't think that Lamos is going to be looking for takedowns. I think she's going to try to catch her and try to knock her head off. Can she do it? I don't know. I don't know how good uh, Rodriguez's chin is. Like, that's the thing is we don't – I don't know how good her chin is. And she's going to have to have some, somewhat of a sustainable chin to be able to get her striking ability off. Because Rodriguez is kind of a volume fighter. I mean, she really is, to me, the second come of Joanna Yenchechek. And with maybe a little bit more aggression in the beginning, but I, I don't know if she can take a punch. You know, she hasn't really been cracked by a, like a, a big puncher. So that's what we got to find out. Wow. You know, I, I love the, the pull on the Matt Sarah tattoo because you can talk that trash forever on the Dana White looking for a fight, but you've got, I believe one up on another co-star in that series. Uh, there was a time in why am I Bay where the great, Dana White. I mean, all he had to do was jump off a cliff into a water. Rachel Ostevich was like, here's how you do it, bitch. And and he didn't. So please tell me, Dean. Okay, I know I'm not getting credentialed ever again. I know that for that comment. But please tell me, Dean. Do you needle that man? Do you let him know nah, about me, it? Do you regularly me, show you him something. pictures of it? You know, Dana White is the most powerful man in our sport, one of the most powerful men in all of sport. I've watched this man, you know, just be a celebrity everywhere, and he has the most pull. But I'm going to tell you, that night, I couldn't have felt more sorry for him. We, when we got, when he got finally got back in the in the van to ride back, I felt so bad for him. I just put my head down. I couldn't even make fun of him. It was so bad I couldn't even make fun of the man. I was like, and Matt Sarah was like, dude, he would give it to us. I was like, I'm sorry, man. I just can't do it. I felt so bad for him because the amount of abuse that he took while he was standing up on there, little kids were walking by calling him names. Everybody was like chanting bad stuff at him and he had to eat it. He had to take the walk of shame down that little, down that cliff. And I really felt bad for him. And to this day, like, I don't even like think about how bad I felt for him. I was, it's, it hurts my heart to see him take that. You know what I'm saying? I know he may not have the best reputation and he's got, you know, he lives the life of a king. But that day, man, he was truly humble. And I felt bad. Uh, it, look, it felt good as a regular Joe who's a wimp and who may have chickened out myself, but I wasn't there that day to see, you know, I mean, he's got hundreds of million reasons not to jump. But thank you for that inside story. I do love me some Dana. Uh, I, I can't let this interview go without asking you this. I'm a boxing guy. I remember you were going to fight under the Shine Fights banner, Ricardo Mayorga in 2010 in a mixed martial arts fight when he was hella washed. But I watched the press conference. You and him were jarring. It was like side of the road hot dog TV. I was so into it. Don King, unfortunately, put the hammer down, brought out the lawsuits. That fight never happened. What the hell was it like? Because that Nicaraguan crazy man is one of my favorite combat sports athletes of all time. What was it like in the buildup to that 20, 2010? Oh, it was a lot of fun. I'll tell you that now. I mean, that was probably my first experience of having that type of build-up. Because, you know, in 2010, the UFC isn't what it is today. I mean, it didn't 
they didn't really have press conferences like that. It was, you know, so to go over to Shine and to have that press conference, I remember sitting in the, the bar where the press conference was, and I'm sitting in there, and I could hear this man coming from outside. He was, you could hear him talking outside, walking his way in, and his voice was just getting louder and louder and louder, and he wouldn't shut up. And he got into the building and he started talking and saying all this stuff and got all in my face and he pushed me and he slapped me and everything else. I mean, but then the funny thing is, is that after it was all over, when the camera shut off, he was quiet. He introduced me to his mother. We took pictures. It was a lot of like, it was all a show. It was all a show. But I was like, that's how you do it. I mean, this guy really knows how to sell a fight. That's how you do it. So, I mean, that taught me a lot about the fight game right there is it. You know, now, go ahead. I mean, you would have single legged him worse than you would have single legged him faster than uh, Randy Couture on James Tony, though, right? That would have been over quick. Well, yeah. So, like, that was my claim to fame is that I wanted to be the first guy to beat a legit boxer, and then it didn't happen. And James, and then Randy Couture beat James Tony, and I was so upset because I wanted that. I wanted that <laughs> that plug right there. Like, that was my time to shine. Still real to me, Luke. All right, I, I still think about stuff like this all the time. I bet you do, BC. I bet you do, <laughs> uh, Dean. I love the work you do, and I love this guy, JC Josh Cohen, the pink sh- uh, suit guy. We we saw this guy for the first time at a UFC press conference, and we're like, "Who the fuck is this guy?" <laughs> over time, he's won me over. How does this small man have balls that large? Can you please explain that? You know, he's just. He's an antagonist, you know, that that's kind of, he, he grew up like, he was like that, that little small guy in school who would kind of be able to push everybody's buttons. He's extremely smart and he's really, really, really good at what he does. You know, he's just got to try to find his way into this game because in this game is not a lot of, you know, it's not a lot of room for that. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of emotion involved in this. This is not a stick and ball sport and that's kind of what he's used to. And so now he's just trying to find his footing into being able to come into this game and not push too many buttons. <laughs> he's doing a great job at not pushing the buttons. Yeah, right. Yeah. Love yeah. that guy. There you go. <laughs> well, I'm, we're trying. We're, we're trying. He loves you guys. He told me to tell you guys hello. He loves you guys. Indeed. Indeed. He's the Look, man. I could do this all day, okay? This is great stuff. Great yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. Well, Dean, uh, before you go, uh, you mentioned it. Dean's Diaries is coming out with Alex Pereira. You're going to be on the desk for tomorrow night for the post-show, pre-show. Where are you going to be? Where can folks find you? Yeah, I'm actually doing the desk tonight and tomorrow night, so you can find me there. And then Dean's Diaries will come out next week, and that is the – now I did that with Alex Pajara and Glover Teixeira. I spent time at Glover's house, and we just had a lot of fun. And I think you guys are going to really enjoy that. I do some clown stuff as usual, so uh, make sure y'all cop that. <laughs> Very good. Tell Dana we love him. Dean Thomas, a, a legend in these parts. Fantastic analysis to get us fired up for next week's UFC 281. From Las Vegas, we love Dean. Thank you for your time today. Thank you, guys. Stay blessed. I will catch up with you guys soon. Appreciate you, Dean. What a guy. Jeez. What a guest, Luke Thomas. Fired up for that, all right? Fired up. Come Dean, on Dean's now. the man. Uh, I tell you what, here's one of the things I like about Dean. Dean and I have talked about this. You know how it goes, man. Like, if you are, you know, you're honest about your assessments about what's going to happen in a fight, you're going to rub someone in the game the wrong way. And I've asked Dean, like, how he deals with it. He's like, eh, fuck him. I don't care. <laughs> He's like, you know how we talked about it? Like, boxing is full of old men who just no longer give a fuck. 
Dean's not like that old. He's not in his sixties. He's yeah. just—I think he's like a couple years older than you or I. But you know, he's got a little bit of that old man boxing kind of thing going on. And uh, those are the best guys to talk to in boxing because they'll just tell you the fucking truth. They're—they're—they oh. don't hold back at all. So Dean's like that. He's like twenty-five years away from full time. Shut the fuck up, you little prick. I mean, I can't wait for it, all right? It's, it's coming. It's coming. He's going to be Bob uh, Arum. Uh, thank you again to D. Thomas. Great start to our show. Uh, Luke, I didn't want to let us go too much further. You sent me some some pictures last night. You're wearing the T-shirt now. You and the beautiful and radiant Mrs. Thomas attended another Cannibal Corpse concert last night in D.C. I know we got some fight picks to make. I know we got a great show to finish out. But do you want to give us a breakdown? How was uh, George Corpse Killer th- this time? George Corpse Killer. George C- Corpse Grinder. Uh, so yesterday was the opening of the tour. It was at the Fillmore in Silver Spring, which, dude, was so fucking funny. My wife and I didn't. There was like four bands that opened. And we were like, eh, we don't really care. She liked the, 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 the I don't know, the co-main event, so to speak. And I cared more for the main event. But uh, we got there like an hour after doors opened, and there was a line, dude. I cannot explain. I've never seen this before. There was a line down the block and then all the way to the next avenue. Like We had to walk like 10 minutes to find the back of the line. And my wife was like, God damn, Cannibal Corpse is like really popular. I was like, I've never seen this before. Sure enough, <laughs> uh, the place was full. I think it was a sellout. But the reason why the line was so long was because they had motherfucking metal detectors. <laughs> they're like, oh, they're yeah. like, you mass shooters aren't going to do that on our watch today. God damn it. No, no, so it no. took forever. It took us an hour to get inside. We got, we missed everyone except most of the, again, the co-main event, which was not my bag. I don't, you know. Did they, did they play the hits, Luke? Do they still have it? Live? Oh my God. Well, let me just say this. The co- the, the opener, well, there's, again, there's several openers, but the one right before Cannibal Corpse. You know, listen, man, there's all different kinds of metal. I'm not saying mine is better than anybody else's. I truly mean that. They're all stupid in their own way. But for me personally, when metal dudes start dressing up like pro wrestlers and shit like that, I'm out. You know what I'm saying? Like when they start putting makeup on and it's it's like Halloween was Monday, bro. I'm out. So So there was a there was a metal band dressed up like 80s wrestlers. Yeah. Like who was those dudes who wore the football pads? What were their names? The Road Warriors? They wore like red and black. Yeah, yes. the Legion of Doom, the Road Warriors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So they're like like that, just like in their 60s. You know what I'm saying? Like just <laughs> That's just, great. Yeah. That's great. Um, it's not funny, I don't look- but for Cannibal Corpse, let me just say this, dude. Uh, it, I, if you've, I don't, I've never, I've been to a million shows. I've never been to a show like theirs, dude. They beat you over the fucking head over and over and over. And then... The guy was like, yeah, that's what scares corpse, me. Corpse, corpse, <laughs> corpse Grinder was like, stop the show. Because it was the opening of the show. And by the way, he's from Baltimore. He's from Baltimore. So he was like, Maryland, I fucking love you. Da, da, da. Crowd went crazy. He's like, this one's this one's for the ladies. And they there was there was women there last night. I couldn't believe it. There was some women there last night. And uh, then the they for the for, to dedicate a song to the women, they played Eft with a knife. <laughs> and they loved it. They loved it. Oh, they loved it. They were they were I dying. I have so for many it. thoughts. I have so many thoughts. Uh, my final question is this, Luke. Uh, shout out to your wife for joining you. You say this is also her her bag. I mean, is she head banging along with you? I mean, she's a she's a a mother and a professional, Luke. You can like what you like, but she stands right next to you and 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 she doesn't like. Uh, cannibal corpse as much as i do she like she's like okay with them she likes the more operatic doom norwegian metal kind of thing which i'm not really into um so she was happy to get the opener and then tolerate 
Cannibal Corpse. But yeah, dude, like when they played like uh, Scourge of Iron, for folks who know, when they played like, um, what was some other ones that? Oh, they played uh, I Come Blood. Dude, she loved it. She was bit, she was ready for it. So, yeah. Okay, let's please before somebody pulls this out of context. <laughs> uh, Mikey Mormal, our great producer, wants to know, Luke, how many uh, subs do we have to get to on YouTube before you will headbang live to a Cannibal Corpse uh, song on on our show? Oh, that's not that hard. Like you know, one fifty. I mean, I'm not. I mean. Listen, I'm not. Oh, okay. I don't have the hair for it. I'm old. Like, I, there's you're not. You're not going to get much out of it. But I was yeah. doing it last night, bro. I was up there, fucking all that shit. I was ready for it. All right. Well, hey, you do you, Luke. Okay. I was listening to my soft rock '70s radio or records last night. Probably. Uh, uh, let let know, me let me just say this, BC. It was mostly dudes, as you can well imagine. Um, how do I say this politely? Not a lot of husband material in the audience. You know what I mean. <laughs> Uh, not surprised. Not surprised at all. A reminder of uh, how much we love you, the fans. Please, if you haven't liked, subscribed to what we're doing here, uh, you can probably see our social ch- handles below or whatever. You know, with this business, we got to put that stuff out there. There you go. Very few ad reads today, so our people should be happy. There's our shit. We do want to sell you this great merch. Look at this shirt, Luke. I found this. I never wore it before. I found it in my drawer. We got so much merch coming out of our ear holes. Uh, morningcombat.store. Uh, we got brand new hats. Hat season is upon us for the fall. So when you are at the kids' soccer game, you could be representing MK right there. Uh, there's a MK hub hat as well, Luke, in the back there. They call it the director's hat. I don't, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. All right, amateur director at best, all right? You know what I mean? Uh, that's No. Okay. There it is right there. Uh, obviously, we love Showtime, and you can get 30 days free right now at Showtime.com. Uh, Showtime Championship Boxing. We'll get to that a little bit later, but uh, reminder... 6.30 p.m. Eastern Saturday, that's tomorrow, on the Showtime Sports YouTube channel. The Showtime Championship Boxing prelims are streaming. It's three fights. It's BC and LT making it look easy. And there's some big names. We got former unified junior middleweight champion Julian J-Rock Williams back, trying to turn away from a two-fight losing skid. We got Andre Durrell versus Unieski Gonzalez in a light heavyweight feature that is very interesting. As you can see there, David Morrell Jr. in the main event, but uh, check us out on Saturday. Okay, Luke Thomas, it is time to get into our weekend picks, and of course, we, have a read. we begin... At... We we have a read, not not right now, though. Uh, Before the picks, yeah. Which, no, we're not doing that read, Luke, that you think we are. Okay, go ahead then. My okay. bad. Okay, yeah. Unless Mikey dead wrongs me here since it's Friday. But uh, we start at UFC Fight Night, the Apex, Las Vegas, where Dean Thomas will be for tonight's weigh-in coverage and also tomorrow night. Luke, I'm really getting fired up for this strawweight main event. Dean broke it down just a few minutes ago. It's time to hear our picks. Minus 210, your betting favorite, Marina Rodriguez. Four-fight winning streak. She said this week she expects a title shot with a victory. Amanda Lemo, she has won six of seven a plus 180 underdog coming in. Look, I want to start right here, though. Amanda Lemos has had some legitimate travel issues getting from Brazil to Las Vegas. She spent the whole night, Monday night, at the airport, mm. then more delays in the hotel. Finally, she was able to fly out midweek. She finally did her uh, UF, her media day obligations yesterday. Do, does this add anything? Does this change anything? What does this mean entering Saturday it's night? It's certainly not great. I would say if she was massively, uh, like if she had a massive weight cut, then it would be a then it would be a big issue, I, but I don't think she has necessarily. I mean, I don't think she has any. I, it doesn't help the weight cut. Is really what your what the issue would be because all the training should be done, and yeah, you want to move around and stuff like that. 
but it would only be a big problem if you really had to be very, very particular about cutting weight, getting the right amount of sleep, getting the right amount of exercise, and like everything had to be on point. If that is the issue we're going to find out here are the weigh-ins here, I guess they've started already. I'll have to double-check where we're at on them in terms of the results. But that would be my only concern. Short of that, it's a pain in the ass, and it sucks, and I feel for her. But it shouldn't play a massive role absent any kind of weight-cutting implications. Okay, and also Marina was asked this week uh, the same comment we sort of said of, you know, I mean, okay, I get it. If Marina wins, she's in line for a title. Why this fight, though? It didn't make a lot of sense in the rankings. Marina's quote was, to be honest, this fight doesn't make sense at all if you look at the rankings. But I know as a UFC employee, you have to accept other fights to try to get to the title. So that's what she will do. Luke, you heard Dean Thomas mention, do not sleep on Amanda Lemos's power, which I have to assume is why these odds are close. This is a very good fight. What should we be looking for in terms of picking a winner here come Saturday? You know, it's interesting. Um, it, the, he, him bringing up the power is certainly something I think you have to take seriously. Dean's analysis is some of the best that's anywhere. Uh, but for me, it just doesn't really come down to that. I mean, again, I can't dismiss it. I certainly take her for what it's worth. But the numbers on Rodriguez are pretty clear. She, she has very good defense, by the way, in terms of like not getting hit. She absorbs three strikes per minute, which is a little on the high end, but not bad at all. And then her defense overall is 57%. So like, there's, there's some pretty good defensive sensibilities there. But I found this number. Uh, shouts to, uh, let me see here. This is from our good friend, um, uh, Richard Mann over at Fightmetric. Really what he brings it down to is the issue of takedowns for Rodriguez. So here's what he notices, which is really kind of interesting. Um, let me sort of point out to you what, what it shows, if I may. Uh, let's see here. For... Uh, okay, the, here's what he writes. The fight against uh, Cynthia Calvillo really illustrates Rodriguez's current weaknesses and illuminates Lemos's best path to victory. Prior to her last fight against Yan Xiaonan, Rodriguez had never won in the UFC when allowing more than one takedown. Even with that victory, she is 1-1-2 one, one, when allowing more than one takedown and 6-0 and oh when allowing one or zero takedowns. Rodriguez has allowed her opponents to land at 1.51 takedowns per 15 minutes and been held on control positions for 26% of her time. It seems to me that's the path, and it is a very doable path for Amanda Lemos, right? So you're getting to a situation where if you get two takedowns, and this is a five-round fight, right? Not a three-round fight. There's never been a case where, or I guess, just the, uh, the yeah, that's right. Even with the victory, she's 1-1-2 one, one, and two in allowing more than one takedown. It really is she has to establish the takedown and get control and do stuff from there. If you watch... Rodriguez on the ground, she does have good defense, but there's really no offense to speak of. It's not like she can fight two ways. She can fight on the feet and then be very defensively sound, and you know she has good hand fighting from the back and whatnot. But you know, for example, if you can take her back, she'll she'll just hold and ride out position. So it seems to me that for Lemos, it's not that you can't exchange on the feet and use that big power. She might close the show in 30 seconds. But statistically speaking, what we know about Rodriguez is. There's a real liability with the number of takedowns you could get against her. And Lemos seems, at least in theory, decently suited to get that done. Yeah, absolutely. This is going to be an interesting fight. We're going the five-round distance here in the main event, which was a late change, as we mentioned on Wednesday, with the Bryce Mitchell fight falling out and getting moved. Uh, does does this one have the, the advantage over the other? We know Marina's tested very well at this level. Have we seen Lemos go this deep, Luke? Is there any fear in that? With the travel, with the potential of, the, of this going deep into the fight, she's only been three rounds, as I look at her record, four times total in 15 fights. Uh, 
Watch out for that, Luke, if we go late. And we're probably going to go late when you consider Marina not being known as a finisher. I love the work she can do in the clinch. Her knees uh, are on point, but Dean echoed the same sort of questions on her as a legitimate title contender. She has the wins to tell you she's a legitimate title contender, but does she have the fil uh, finishing ability? That's the question. If this goes into the later rounds, who has the edge? It's got to be Marina, right? Yeah, I think the longer it goes, the more it benefits Rodriguez. She's built as D I do agree with completely with this with Dean, which was Rodriguez is built for volume, right? Built to win rounds, built to go the distance. You know her cardio is going to be good. You know she's not going to be deterred. You know exactly like Marina knows exactly what her sweet spot is and like what are some of her weak points are and like she's really built to last in a fight. Which isn't to say that Lemos isn't. We just don't really know to that point. Also, it should be noted. One thing that could get kind of interesting is I don't expect necessarily Rodriguez to shoot, but you saw what she, what, what Lemos was able to do against Waterson Gomez, snatching up that guillotine and then creating problems from it. I wonder there might be opportunities for that as well. Not as many, obviously, but you know she is a submission threat. She can snatch your throat. The thing is this: it's like you look at the wins she has, you know, via uh, striking like Lavinia Souza and Montserrat Conejo and 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 whatnot. It's like those are good wins, but Rodriguez is is a overall a better than them. And again, we don't know the truth about her chin. I think Dean's right about that, but like I would put Rodriguez is in a, a better, she has much better fundamental striking than both of those competitors. She's much more suited. I, I for agree. It. And so I think it's just a little bit of a, it's the, I can't dismiss the power, but I'm not, yes. I just don't know exactly how decisive it will be. Look, if Amanda can come out and get a stoppage here and use the uncertainty of fight week and the travel issues and just say, look, I'm going for it and get it, then look, that's the biggest win of her career. She makes a huge advancement into these rankings. But as I identified on Wednesday, when you look at that streak of having won six to seven, you know, split decision win over Angela Hill might, you know, is that the best win in that bunch? There isn't a, uh, the, the experience edge against higher level competition, particularly going later in fights. It seems to all circle in favor of Marina in this case. Uh, I, I, in some ways, I still echo what I said on Wednesday. I think that, that she should be an even bigger favorite. I think Marina Rodriguez, by decision, is the bet here. That's the bet, okay? Yeah, I'm going so, to say the same. It could be it close, on. by the way. It could be close. It could be very close. Like, there's ways where you're like, this could come down to the fifth, man. I don't really know. But I, I just tend to think the person built for volume, good defense, built to last uh, against someone who is very good but hasn't yet proved to me to be an overwhelming force. I'm going to ride with Rodriguez as well. I think she gets it done by decision. But should be an interesting one. Should be a good one. I'm going to ride in the car with you there, Luke. All right, this co-main event, very interesting. Welterweight division, Neil Magny, D-Rod, Daniel Rodriguez. The odds just shifted. Let's go to DraftKings on this one, Luke. Minus 125, Neil Magny, plus 105, Rodriguez. And, Luke, I listened to uh, D-Rod's talk with the with those scumbag MMA reporters this week. And the reveal he said was that he had a legit elbow issue and considered pushing this fight off pretty seriously, decided to bite down and fight through it. Again, I'll ask you, any concern for the striker here with that bit of knowledge entering a tough test? Yeah, I mean, these guys are always banged up, as we know, one level or another. The question is how much. Um, yeah, that's not great. Uh, obviously, that could cause all kinds of problems. It could exacerbate another injury. It could limit how often he throws. It could make defense more painful. I mean, there's just any kind of problems you could get behind. And on top of that, you know, for a guy like Rodriguez, who's a great striker, and that's all also, you know, where he does his best work, he's also got a six-inch reach disadvantage, right? Neil Magny had 80 inches there in terms of his reach. Uh, Rodriguez, 74. Now, they are going to be open stance, so that can change the game a little bit for you. 
But so, you know, it's a it's a it's a concerning factor, but again, BC, it's like is that the thing that gets him to lose? Hard to know without really fully understanding the injury, but I tend to think not. Um, but we shall see. We shall see. Luke, Neil Magny at his best. I mean, he he's a you know, he's the kryptonite if you're not quite ready, if you're not quite well rounded, if there's a legitimate hole in your game. He'll take you to deep waters. He'll be hard to hit. He's 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 you know he's crafty in so many ways. Not known as a finisher, but he does that to people who sometimes need that lesson or have that hole. Is D Rod too good of a fighter to fall into some of those tropes that 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 Neil Magny is able to expose? Tropes. You know, I, sometimes I put words out there, Luke, and I just I hope they fit. I really do. Um, well, what I'll say is. This is a real, I mean, here's the problem. The leech fight, it's like, that should have told us the answer, but it didn't exactly because of the late change. You, both guys were a little bit hesitant. Again, the leech giving up weight, given where uh, D-Rod was for the other fight that he was against Kevin Holland that he was supposed to have. And so it's not worthless by any stretch. I mean, you could definitely learn some lessons from it, but it just wasn't as clarifying as we thought it would be. You know, it, it's... If they just had to kickbox, I would definitely pick Rodriguez, right? If that's all that it was. But it's not all that it was. Like, Neil doesn't have as much volume in striking, but the overall volume of his offense is quite punishing to the wrong people. He can push you up against the fence. He can go for takedowns. He scrambles underneath. He actually has pretty good uh, clinch as well. Like, we've seen him tested in all of the various different phases in ways we've just never seen Rodriguez tested. So it's like... There is one clear part of the game where I feel like Rodriguez has an advantage, and I feel like that the majority of the fight will be contested there. Uh, and so for that reason, BC, I'll just put my cards on the table. I think Rodriguez will win this one. I really do, especially since he beat Tim Means, who's you know can be a, a, a rough-and-tumble kind of guy. Or, let me verify yeah. that. I, I don't want to get that wrong. Yeah, he did, of course. What am I saying? Um, yeah, early on. But... Um, it, it, this one's close, man. And also, it's like a three-round contest. I feel like that gives Rodriguez a little bit more of an edge because if it went five, you could really see a very weaponized pace from, uh, from excuse me, what am I saying, Neil Magny. So because it's three, I definitely think he's going to be busy. I definitely think he's going to be getting to work, but I feel like maybe you disagree. I feel like it's going to create some openings for Rodriguez, and then when those openings are there, I expect him to stick, stick hard, and move if he has to or close the show thereafter. I agree. Uh, look, this is going to be a close fight. It's going to be competitive, but I like the fact that he's got, uh, in my opinion, better firepower, a better way to deliver it here. If D-Rod is going to maximize his window at welterweight with the age, with the long layoffs, with the injuries, it's time. It is right now. All right, Luke, we got a breaking news weigh-in update. It was the fight I was going to ask you next about, by oh. the way, because I'm very intrigued by it. It is the lightweight about to open the main card. Grant Dawson taking on Mark O. Madsen. And Mikey Mormile letting us know that, that Grant Dawson just came in overweight, 157 and a half for this lightweight contest. I don't know if he will attempt to try to cut down the rest, but uh, before that happened, the odds from DraftKings look like this in this intriguing matchup, minus 215 for Dawson, plus 185 for Mark O'Madson. Uh, third straight time, I asked the same question. How much does this development change what we're going to see Saturday? Oof. I don't know. I don't know. Um, Jesus, that's... Ugh. Okay, so it's like, why did he miss weight? 
Why did he miss weight? Did he miss weight because um, he's injured, right? Did he miss weight because he's now too big for this weight class and he like killed himself to get down there? Did he not kill himself to get down there? Like, you know, when you miss weight like that, it's hard to know exactly what the reasoning um, for it might be. So I'll say this, if he's injured, yeah, that changes the equation substantially. If he just missed it because it was a poor weight cut. Is this his first miss? I think it is, right? Can we verify that? Um, I, I don't have the information directly in front of me. I don't know the answer to that. I'm going to have to pay I believe... $8 to Elon to get this question verified, Luke, but let me see real quick. I don't, uh, I don't think so. I think you can look on, I think Wikipedia will tell you that. Um, uh, but in any case, without knowing Dawson exactly... Dawson missed weight in his third pro fight, Luke, Did but he? never again, according to Wikipedia. And that was at featherweight, right? So his featherweight debut, he missed it, then went back to lightweight, then went back to featherweight, yes. and then went back to... Um, I'm sorry. One more time. One more time. Derek Minner, 2020. Dawson missed weight. Oh, yeah, they no, okay. had a catch weight of 149. I'm glad, and we, a half I'm glad we checked this in real time. Yeah, I know he's missed weight a couple of times. Now, granted, not for this weight, right? It was always at the weight class below, but now he's bigger. Yeah, I don't know. It seems to me like he just has issues making weight um, uh, for whatever reason in terms of the cutting process or whatever you want to say. So... Um, yeah, it does so look, change it a little bit. This. Changes a little bit. Marco Madsen, what does he have to show you that he has not yet on this transition to MMA? And this is a fight where he's the underdog against a very tough customer. What does he have to show you to let you know that he's that he's making a move here? Uh, what I would say is he has to show gas tank, a gas tank, because we know he's a great athlete. We know he can wrestle really well. He's heavy handed. We know he's heavy handed too. And you know, in that Vince Pichel fight, that was a tough fight. Like he proved he's got grit, but but his gas tank, you know, he used it up. He went to E really quickly. I think there's got to be, I mean, it's, and, and this is a challenge here too, right? Because you know if you have an opponent who missed weight, then you know that, well, maybe they're compromised, right? Maybe that, that, that weight cut really fucked them up. Let me just go in there and work on the body, make them wrestle, put them on their hands, right? Just force them into action, really get them tired, and then do that. But that, of course, could be self-sabotaging, because Grant Dawson, by the way, has like very good uh, wrestling defense, very good resistance to those kinds of things. And so there's a bit of a question there. But like, obviously, if you can get Marco Madsen to have better cardiovascular conditioning, which means he can have better apportioned output, um, then this is something he could very much take advantage of. That's, to me, the biggest question. Because if, it, if Grant Dawson is somewhat drained from this, but not fully drained from this, and Marco Madsen hasn't worked on his gas tank, well, then, the, the, then they almost kind of cancel each other out a little bit in terms of how each could drag down the other one. So, But if one is compromised and one has really worked on some of those other things and really made some strides, well, now the equation changes pretty substantially. I guess, I don't know what the odds are for this fight, BC. I, I don't have them in front of me. Um, oh, Look, here, I just read them sh just short of two minutes ago. I read that before the weigh-in situation. yeah. Yeah, plus one eighty five matches. Do we know what the O stands for? I've been wondering for a while. Uh, no, it, it's not. It's not like O'Sullivan. He's not. He's not Irish, folks. You know what, man? I might lean towards. I might lean towards Madsen. That's that's that's, that's sketchy too, right? Because how old is Madsen? Isn't the dude like almost forty? Yeah, he's thirty eight. Yeah. So, does it change? Your no, he's pick? a. Does it brick. change the way you were going? 
it, it helps me feel more confident to believe that Mark Madsen has another gear. Yeah. He's going to have to earn it. He's going to have to fight for it here. This is going to be a good fight. No question about it. But yeah, it gives me a little more confidence to want to ride the underdog in the plus money and maybe parlay some shit together. Luke, Mark Madsen's a brick shithouse. It's yeah. going to be hard to improve on that gas tank with that type of build, but we'll, he's going to have to. We're going to have to see it. Uh, Daniel Rodriguez just weighing in just now at 170 pounds per Mikey Morms here, Luke. So it's all coming together. And Mikey lets us know it's Mark Overguard Madsen. Overguard is O V E R G A A R D. Overguard is apparently not an amateur wrestling move, so it's not an. Is it? I mean, I know you can get an underhook. Luke. With, can I overguard? Not, not you? with two A's, just one A, maybe. Yeah. All right. Oh, it's Gaff. Whoa! No, I'm giving the wrong credit there, Mike. Yeah, wow. Okay. It's it's Gaffney Jim who's who's uh, helping us out there. Thank you very much, Gaff, for going deep on that lookup. Uh, Luke, we got a great staff. A great. They're great people. They are great. Oh wow! Nice, nice delay there. You're like, eh, what's no, no, the no, truth they're great. There? They're great. I'm trying to get my notes in order. Okay, thank you very much, uh, Luke. Is there another fight here that you'd like to to focus on and make a selection? Um, it's slim pickings the rest of the way to a certain degree, but you know, yeah, there's, there's not a whole lot uh, after that. Um, the Miranda Maverick one was the one that I was kind of interested in, but she's such a, like, a huge favorite at minus six ten. You're like, is it that compelling a fight? I guess the only thing I would want to see there is. Can she meaningfully improve from the last performance? Can she continue to get better in the way that I've expected her to get better? Um, we shall yeah. see. We shall see. She should consider working the overguard uh, in this fight if she needs to. Luke, we'll go to that boxing match in Abu Dhabi. I believe it is a 1 or one fifteen p.m. Eastern time start in the main card. Come Saturday afternoon, it's Dimitri Bivol unbeaten, fresh off the upset Kind of pound-for-pound pound breakthrough victory over Canelo Alvarez will defend his WBA light heavyweight title against a mandatory challenger, but among the toughest fighters Bivol has faced to date. In theory, this sets up the potential of a four-belt unification at light heavyweight against unified champ Arthur Betterbeev, but it's Gilberto Zerto Ramirez coming in. As we stand, DraftKings has Dimitri Bivol as a minus 400 favorite, plus 290 for Zerto. As we talk about a lot here, Luke, boxing odds usually much wider. This actually isn't that bad in theory. Um, I love this matchup. I really feel like we've got Bull and Matador potential here because mm. Bivol can play it safe. He's so technically sound. Yes, he walked down Canelo, the smaller man, and did what he had to do, did what he had to do in that spot. But Gilberto, taller than him, longer than him, and certainly much more aggressive than him. You would not call Zerto reckless, but look, he is a, a tough Mexican fighter who comes after it. He's going to have to, in my opinion, make this a real fight to win it. What are you looking for? Specifically, when these two touch gloves come Saturday afternoon. Man, I saw this. I got to give credit. Is it from? Is it Dan Canobio or Dan Canobio? Yes, Canobio. Dan Canobio. Yeah. yeah, from Inside Boxing Live, CompuBox, all that. Yeah, yeah. So he put out a stat line on Bivol that I thought was just fucking incredible. Listen to this. Bivol has not been outlanded in his last thirty-seven rounds and has outlanded his opponents in seventy-five of seventy-six overall. He has held opponents to single-digit strikes in 130 of his last 141 rounds. He's number two in defense. His opponents land just 5.6 punches per round. And he's number two in overall in jabs. He lands nine around, right? And we're talking number two overall, not just in the division, statistically in all of boxing. Dude, this guy is sound as a pound. My Lord, his defense is impeccable. He, he, he knows exactly when to press the gas, exactly when to press the brakes. 
He has good lateral movement. He has good ring generalship. Obviously, as you can see, he's got good fundamentals, a great jab, a good footwork, very good defense. He knows, and this is how you know when someone's really good, BC, because you see this in Volkanovski's stat lines with his opponents. He suppresses their offense by virtue of how much he's able to land and by how good his defense is or how confused he can make the opponent so they just can't go, or when they go, they go at the wrong time or whatever the case may be. But in this particular case, what I would say is I feel like Zerto Ramirez is going to be going heavy to the body. I do think he's going to be attacking. I think for the first six rounds, maybe first, yeah, first six rounds, it probably is a relatively even-ish fight. Um, it's the second half of the fight that I just don't really know if Zerto Ramirez is going to have enough to steal enough rounds late. Is he really going to have enough to steal, you know, rounds 9 through 12? That seems highly unlikely for a guy who's just really hard to hit, who has suppressive offense and, and obviously, you know, ironclad defense. There's just too much. There's just too much that we know about Bivol, right? That we yeah. don't know about Ramirez, but I love it. I do think it goes the distance, and I think it should be a fun affair for as long as it lasts. Yeah, look, uh, Zerto's got to get Bivol off script. When when he's on script, you know, he's not, never afraid to just jab you to death. And that's, you know, a big part of why his CompuBox numbers are so strong and wide compared to his opponents. That jab is so accurate. He commands distance. I mean, he just controls distance. But Zerto's longer. He's a southpaw. He's got, you know, looping hard power shots. He's got a good way of getting inside on you and making it a fight. I think the key here is Zerto's chin because... Look, Zerto's got that that cowboy spirit. I mean, he is go like you know when I talked to him, Luke, a couple weeks ago. You know, he's like respectful to Canelo that that you know he heard that rumor that Canelo doesn't want to fight Mexicans, but he does not understand that at all. He's about fighting the best. He's had trouble getting the fights to the best, as we talked about on Wednesday. But he's the mandatory. He's got his chance here. He thinks a victory gets him in the pound for pound top ten. He's ready to fight Better Beef afterwards. He wants Canelo. He wants the world. I think he's going to go after this and give himself the best chance. Meaning, I don't think Gilbert Zerto, who can box, I don't think he's going to go out there and try to outbox Bivol. Or if he finds himself down on the rounds, you know, be be content with with, with going to the scorecards and taking his chance. He's going to have to go after it. Bivol can punch, not a big power puncher, but he can. If Zerto can take those shots, get inside and try to make this a fight, that's his calling card. That's going to be his opportunity. Can I pick him though, Luke? Can I pick him to break through? Ah, uh, I can't. I can't yet. Now, you know, he's he's moving up to 75 was a big move for Zerto. He's he's not making the hard weight cuts. He's been knocking dudes out left and right, although on a slightly lower level as he's been climbing the ladder here to get into this position. It, yeah, until I see Beach Bivol handled, until I see him out thought, out maneuvered, I think you got to go Bivol here. And you know, no one would be upset if Bivol wins this, and then we finally get that four belt summit between unbeaten fighters against Better Beef, who is in his late thirties, but. Man, he's ready. He's ready. I mean, 18 and 0, 18 KOs, Luke. Better be is the absolute real deal. Uh I, I look I look at Zerto at making this a fun fight, giving him every chance to win it. But I think Bivol is just too sound technically, too good defensively. He's gonna have to make key adjustments in key key times, but can he keep that activity up and just live and die behind that jab? At the end of the day, I think he will be able to, but it's gonna be fun theater watching it. Look, this going down in Abu Dhabi, don't forget in uh, Riyadh. 
It's WWE Crown Jewel this weekend with Logan Paul against Roman Reigns and Jake Paul in his corner. He just they just he just spoke at the press conference. I'm not saying you need to care. I don't care, Luke. I'm just I'm just telling the world that it's out there. Yeah, I right? want you to know I don't care. Yeah, I don't even care either, to be fair. I'll watch the highlights, all right? But that is what is going down. Uh, don't miss this fight. It's a good one. Bival, Zerto, Ramirez. Obviously, uh, Saturday night is also giving you a chance to come back into the Showtime window here. Showtime Championship Boxing. Saturday night, a triple header. You're going to hear from us on the prelims, but let's focus now on the main event. Uh, Luke, is it 9 p.m. Eastern? Did I get that right? I believe that's correct, yes, because we're on at 6.30, right, yes. It's going to go down to Minneapolis, the Armory. Uh, I mean, tune in. If you can get there in person, if you ever get a chance, that venue is fantastic, and they have real boxing fans there, and they freaking love Cuban-born 24-year-old David Morrell Jr. I don't think we talk enough about Morrell, but to be fair, of late, he has given us more reason to talk about him. He's unique. 24 years old. 7-0 and with six KOs. Wants all the smoke right away, right now, after a good amateur career. He's got the secondary WBA title at 168 pounds. The reason why that matters here in this case is because Canelo's got all four belts at 168, but he's going to be gone a while. We're going to get into some breaking news soon that came out yesterday of an, of an interim title fight that you can't miss coming up in this division. But Morrell has the secondary title. Luke, when he was first coming on, he was on some PBC on Fox cards. I didn't love him. But what I've seen of late is he's starting to put it together. He's made Minneapolis his adopted home. They turn out for him, and he's going to welcome in somewhat of an unknown and a newcomer here in this mandatory opponent, 30-year-old Kazakh Eidos your boss, Anuli, who comes in dressed as as an old-school Kazakh warrior from centuries of old, can he do enough here? 16-1 and one record, 11 KOs to upset the apple cart. Luke, have you seen enough of David Morrell Jr.? And by the way, his last outing against Calvin Henderson, the early knockout, seemed to show him starting to make that leap forward. Do you like him? Are you confident in him? He's an interesting prospect considering he's got so little fights and he's only 24, but he's trying to get in there against the best in the world. He wants Canelo bad. Yeah, you know, what's interesting is they both have a common opponent. He fought, uh, Morel did Lennox Allen in his third fight. It went the distance. Your boss newly fought him and I think stopped him in what, the 10th or 11th, something like that? Um, stopped Lennox Allen. So they have a common opponent. But, I mean, here's the way to, that, BC, if I'm getting this wrong, please, by all means, correct me. What's really interesting about this fight is that both guys have a good amateur pedigree from their respective parts of the world, Kazakhstan for your boss Anuli, and then Cuba for Morel. Morel had to defect and then, you know, uh, go to Mexico, had to live there, I believe, for 18 months before he was even eligible to come over here stateside and then begin competing as a pro. So, like, this guy's made some big sacrifices. He did well in Cuban amateur system. And so far to this point has looked good, as I mentioned, fighting Lennox Allen in just his third contest and winning that one via decision. In fact, that's the only fight he has among the pros Granted, just seven of them, but still, that's the only one that went the distance. All the other ones, he stopped in the first, second, third, first, fourth, and fourth round. Dude, he's got a big puncher. He can box too, young, as you mentioned, sort of adopted in this part of the world. Your boss, Anuli, is stubborn as shit, though, bro. And he's yes. got really, really, really good a pedigree as well. I don't know. I see this going, it could, it could either be, I don't think it'll be a slot fest, but one could really force the other one to make it pretty exciting. Or it could just be a chess match. I really don't have a clear sense on how that one's going to go. Perhaps you do. Well, I like that we don't know a ton. We don't know a lot about your boss, Newley. He came in, like you said, under the becoming the mandatory challenger, climbing the ladder to make his move here. But Morell is starting to come out and be a little bit more of an aggressive power puncher. I mean, look, I've talked to, uh, you know, in Minneapolis at his last fight, I was working on that card in Jim Gray's normal spot doing the interviews. And, you know, I talked to his his advisor, uh, a guy, Louis DeCuba Sr., who's, 
you know, been around Cuban fighters his entire, you know, underrated great career in boxing as a manager and, a, and finding young talent. And he told me straight up in the ring right after that fight, right after that knockout against Calvin Henderson that woke a lot of people up that Morel's the best Cuban fighter pro prospect he's ever seen. A lot of great Cuban fighters that have come through, a lot of them that have been associated with this man in question here. So this is just something to think about. Uh, they did change the start time to Saturday's show, 9, 10 p.m. Eastern time. And also, Luke, a reminder, separate from us doing the prelims, you're also going to get the Jake Paul Anderson Silva uh, replay, I believe, 8 p.m. Eastern, right before that. So 9, 10 p.m. Eastern is the start. Morel versus your boss, Anuli. I'm trying to pick up odds here. Did you see any? No, I don't have any in front of me. Oh, wait. Uh, no, I don't have any in front of me just yet. All right, I got it. Here we go. Let's let's go to DraftKings. Wow, they like Morel big here. Minus 1,300 plus 690 for your Boston Newley, who's going to have to get inside and make this a fight. I think given the climate right now with Canelo out, who knows if he'll be stripped or we'll see more interim titles. Basically, business is going to pick back up here in terms of people getting into contention. David Morel Jr. wins this, or even for your Boston Newley, there's going to be some big fights to make and some big opportunities. So don't miss that. Look, your boy, Banana, Banana, Jason Rosario, the former unified champ at 154, is back in this co-main event, uh, a triple header, 9, 10 p.m. Eastern. But, Luke, we did want to remind people we got a pretty damn good trilogy, or trilogy, how about a trio of preliminary action on the Showtime Championship Boxing Countdown Show, 6.30 p.m. Eastern, BC and LT, and look, I've always been a huge Andre Durrell fan. Remember when he was in the Showtime Super 6, Super Middleweight Tournament a decade yes, ago? Uh, an Olympic medalist in 2004. Uh, you know, the brother, of course, of Anthony Durrell, former two-time uh, Super Middleweight champion who just lost to Caleb Plant. He's 39. He's only fought six times in the last seven years. But he still believes he's got stuff left. This is going to be a fun matchup against Unieski Gonzalez of Cuba, who's also in his late 30s and looking to get right back into the title picture. Got stopped by Zerto Ramirez in his last fight at the highest level here. You talk about Bull and Matador. This is going to be fun theater that we're calling on Saturday. I'm fired up. Yeah, man. how about these for boxing odds? Unieski Gonzalez, minus 165. Andre Durrell, plus 130. How often do you see boxing fights like that? Not very often. That tells you exactly how well-matched and competitive this is. And Darrell, we spoke to him this week. He seems ready to go. Obviously, he's longer in the tooth, and I think some of that is probably him just trying to find a, 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 a way to focus, given that, you know, how many of these big opportunities is he going to have left? You know, they're, they're probably short in number. But this is a very, very closely contested affair. Should be a very fun one as well. Yeah, Darrell's such a slick boxer. He's moved up to light heavyweight. Uh, he's won on you know on, on some lower level matchmaking since making that adjustment, but this is this is the tough test to see if he can still make noise in this division. Luke, it was interesting that we we did ask him about uh, his brother getting knocked out by Caleb Plant and Plant doing the the grave digger on him, and he was like respectful. He's like, look, my brother talked a lot of shit. I can't be too mad at Caleb. I like that answer, right? Yeah, I, I you know what, he, you got to be at peace with it, and he seemed to be at peace with it, so that was the right answer. Yep, Julian J. Rock Williams back as well as also a, a rematch to open the card between two unbeaten welterweights fresh off their, their draw early this year. So we'll check that out. Hey, Showtime's got you covered here. 6.30 p.m. with us on the prelims on the Showtime Sports YouTube channel. Then tune in at 8 p.m. Eastern Showtime. You can watch Anderson Silva, Jake Paul, the Ray airing, and 9 p.m. Eastern, a triple header for Minneapolis. Don't miss it, okay? Support us like we support you with this great free uh, content and very little ad reads, I might add today. Uh, Luke, we got a couple bits of news here that I want to get to. And one is 
Have you checked the MMA headlines in the last couple of days, Luke? You're in them, bro. You're front sort, page news. Sort of, sort of. We don't just win awards on here. Sometimes morning combat makes news. Um, TJ Dillashaw, fresh off of losing his title opportunity against Aljamain Sterling. The shoulder injury was a big part of it. Luke and I both on morning combat, like a lot of people in this space, had our own opinions on the situation should he have been in there it's obviously a great area we praising ganu for going in there with a busted knee and winning against cyril gone we lie you know we villainize tj dillashaw well he took umbrage with your analysis and he went on ariel hawani's mma hour i believe we got sound from this to put to put this in context let's let's hear from tj uh yeah i mean i don't pay attention too much but when i do it's kind of like you know like you went into a fight injured why the fuck you do that and you know, you, you like the one thing that really made me mad was Luke Thomas talking about how it was a scam, like borderline being a scam going into the fight. It's like, dude, that? like I'm not already being like I'm not being thrown under the bus enough. Like he thinks that I went in there to collect a paycheck. Like I went in there to believe with the utmost belief that I was going to win and I was going to get that fight back and I was going to get my title back. Something I've been waiting to do for three and a half years and chomping at the bit. And I just beat Corey Sandhagen, Sandhagen on one leg. In one eye, you know, like, why would I not believe that I can go in there and beat a guy that I think is less dangerous and that I matched up with really well? Um, the shoulder obviously came out sooner than I hoped and came out and didn't go back in, which on average was not the case. So, um, unfortunate. Uh, Luke, are we live? I have no idea what's I, going on. Yeah, right I now. don't know. I can't quite hear. Um, All right. Hopefully, uh, people heard that, Luke. But if they didn't, can you just frame that that the, the key words here that TJ took took issue with? Yeah, what it you was. Said? It was. Remember what I said, which was, it's not. I, I was like, I'm not going to call it fraud. It's not. Um, but the question was, you know, is it borderline? That was the word that I used. It's, to me, it was like a little bit like borderline fraud. Which I, I showed that to my wife, and she was like, I can see. Not what she didn't just necessarily disagree with the merits of what I was saying, but that why that would be such a uh, incendiary kind of thing for him to latch on to, which, you know, in retrospect, I can understand as well. I mean, listen, I don't like getting sideways with fighters. That seems to happen more than I would like, but it certainly is not a thing that I uh, try to. But I guess if you're going to say what you're going to say in a role like this, you have to accept that people are going to have an opinion about what you say as well. Still, going back to the merits of it, BC, and by the way, like TJ Dillashaw is tough. He's a, TJ Dillashaw is tough in a sport where everyone is tough, and he's tough among them. And I do dude, think he's he insanely tough. Yeah, dude, and even when like, you want to call him a cheater, it's part of that insane drive. You fought, say, like you said, he fought San Hagen on one leg. Yes, dude, he that did. Guy, you got to pull him out of there. Yeah, right? that's exactly you know? right. Like he got his, I think it was his knee popped by San Hagen with a heel hook at the end of the first round, and then still managed to find a way to come back and win the subsequent rounds. Like TJ has high fight IQ. He always comes in shape. He, you know, is as is as tough as fucking nails. Like I'll give him credit on all of those things, but I just can't say that it's anything other than a really epic miscalculation. I mean, and and either way you want to look at it. Now, what was interesting was I think he took umbrage with the idea. So, so basically, there's two interpretations, right? BC. So one interpretation would be that you know the shoulder was banged up. They kind of knew it was banged up, but he hadn't worked in you know, or, or even I think he had three fights in three years. He just hadn't really had. Um, much money to 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 collect. Uh, there wasn't he wasn't competing, and so I my if you watch the post fight show I did on MK, I actually thought that that that, that never even occurred to me. I thought that he thought he was too tough. We'll get to the or uh, he thought he would win, 
We'll get to that interpretation in a second. But one interpretation, and again, who you can you can decide for yourself out there which one is correct. One interpretation was that he just needed a check, and like I wouldn't think that that is great. But like you would, you can kind of be like, well, I mean, uh, you you still shouldn't do that. But you know, the fight game being what it is, I could I could kind of understand that to be quite honest with you. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't again I, you wouldn't agree with either of them, but you could kind of be like, okay, whatever. But it's the other one, and what he's claiming is that he actually believed he could win. And I just think that that's a really, it's just not sound judgment. And, and more to the point, and this is the thing I raised um, on on our show, not so much on my post-fight show, that obviously both are on MK. It's like, listen, what he's telling us is that you know he couldn't he couldn't really throw it for striking. I mean, he could a little bit, but that wasn't what he was so worried about. He knew he was going to be fighting Aljamain Sterling, and so he knew wrestling and grappling was going to be involved. Well, what, what did we say on this show in the week's, Leading up to it, I said explicitly, like, watch out. Like, TJ Dillashaw could get his, he loves to kick, he can get his kicks caught. And th- one of the very best ways that Sterling finds his operations on the ground is by catching kicks. That's exactly what happened. And then the first time he went to post, the very first time he went to post, the shoulder came completely out. He survived the round. He came back out. There was another grappling exchange a couple minutes later, and the shoulder came back out. Now, his claim is that, you know, there were some shoulder, like, small dislocations that happened in the course of camp, and they were able to pop pop back in you know I, I don't know if that's true or not that's his testimony but the reality is the instant it got road tested it it didn't just fail it failed like yeah. immediately it failed immediately and he survived the round it came back out and it failed almost immediately again whatever calculation he had made about the doability of this was clearly wrong like really wrong and like when I when I say well yeah of course after the fact it's easy to say you got it wrong but like the reality is, because I guess he, what ha- he told Redekomoto what had happened was he was on antibiotics because he had a staph infection, which is fucking terrible. And it, if you guys have never taken antibiotics before, most people have, they can weaken your, your connective tissue. That's actually a real thing that happens, and it happened to him. I believe that. I absolutely believe that. But if your shoulder is coming out, I think he even said on Fight Week it had popped out two different times. It's like, dude, you are quite clearly not in a position to, to be able to perform. You have to have, yes... And the, the line is the line is gray. The line is gray. But you absolutely have to have basic functionality of your appendages and limbs. You have to. And he 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 didn't. And if he's saying, well, it wasn't that bad in wrestling and training, I mean, you can accept that, you cannot accept that, but that didn't match the reality of the fight at all. At all. At all. Zero. None. The yeah. his body collapsed on him immediately, immediately upon road test. And there's one more component to this, BC, which is like everyone's like, oh, you got to let the fighters make their choices. Dude, I've, I've said this a million times. If you're going to do this job, you must listen to the fighters. You must put their voice in every conversation around this because in many ways, they're the most important stakeholder. But they're not the only stakeholder. They don't get, like, the sport is not regulated by the fighters. The sport is regulated by a series of different, uh, you know, com, uh, I would say, there's just different interests, different roles being played by the governing body, by the medical staff, and in this particular case, BC, by the consumer. Dude, like you can't, you can't sell that to the consumer. You can't be that compromised where the moment, the moment you do something as basic as planting a, an arm that had been previously coming out, however bad you can decide, however bad, but the mo- moment it, you, you even put weight on it, it comes out and makes you completely incapable of fighting against Aljamain Sterling, and then it does it again in the subsequent round. Dude, you're not physically able to perform. You don't have basic functionality of your appendages and limbs. You should not be in a position where then you're telling the fans to pay money for this. 
I do not believe yeah. that to be a fair thing to do to them. I really don't. You got to, and no, I understand, I, mean, Paul's, I understand something. I understand that the, that the situations, you and I know this, BC, we've been around the fight game a long time. Sometimes they're blurry as shit, dude. Sometimes there isn't an yep. easy and obvious call. I understand it. More often than not, they're blurry as but shit. More often than sure, not. More know? often than not, they're blurry as shit. This one was not hard to get right. It was yeah. not hard and to get right. I understand there are other circumstances that made him want to do that, but this one was not hard to get right. And there's one more about this. It's like the entire the entire reasoning about this is like, oh, well, Aljamain Sterling is one of the easiest guys to beat. Like, I'm sorry, I, I, I don't believe that. Like, I don't believe that he wears that belt accidentally or fortuitously. I understand he's got his own limitations, and TJ TJ fully healthy. We're obviously talking about a completely different scenario, but like you want me to accept baked into your idea that like Aljamain's kind of easy to beat. I, I don't accept that. I don't. I don't accept no. that at all. I don't think that's well, sound judgment either. So like every way you dice this, there's just a level of decision making around uh, prudence. That got completely pushed to the side. I don't think he's a yeah. bad guy, but I do think he made a really, really poor, indefensible calculation here. Yeah, dear Prudence, right? Won't you come out and play? Tell, tell, uh, tell me what I'm missing here. Tell me what I'm not Well, no, you're not missing anything. So, look, there's a couple layers to this. It's like, one... I mean, look, our, we're in the hot take business. Our job is to not saying that you. Yeah, but I'm not going out there. To, I'm either. not doing the Stephen A. Smith thing where I want free clicks. You're not. I don't want no. that fucking smoke. So I'm not about in general, it. look... It's our job to take situations that are largely always gray and just, you know, pick a side based on our true beliefs. We do that. It's not always going to make everybody happy. Is there a way you can pick apart our strategies and go the other way? Yes, these areas are largely gray. We did praise Nganu for doing the exact same thing, and now we're going to villainize TJ. I think the difference is we're going on the facts that we had, and the one of the major piece of facts that we had was TJ getting on the mic and while apologizing, which, you know, was a humble move there in a lot of ways. He's also revealing that he injured it badly in April and it came out 20 times during training camp. That's the reason I think why you and I shifted toward that side of it and why he saw whatever video he did and, you know, could have been taken out of context, could have been anything and took umbrage. Uh, look, look, you know, no, no, no headlines or bad headlines. I'm, you know, I'm glad you made some MMA fighting headlines. They're finally, Luke, they're giving you the close up that they never did that you deserve. I'm kidding. But, um, it's, it's, it's a gray area, okay? But in this case, with that information, it's hard not to do the whole that he just, at this age, after that much time off, you know, just go F it, let's get the paycheck and try our best. I mean, look, I do agree he's that dude. You're going to have to physically remove him. But with that information that we knew, I think it did change it. I have no problem with him being upset, just like in general, just like with the David, just like the, uh, excuse me, the um, Uriah Hall situation. Like, Dude, we're going to say stuff. It's our job to say stuff. And whether people hear it in full context or partial context or whether they're sensitive or not or whether we're just assholes, it may piss them off. And that's the result. That's the game at the end of the day. But I respect TJ Dillashaw. He's one of my favorite fighters, straight up, regardless of anything he's done. I didn't like this situation. It, you know, and it is a larger gray area. It, it's tough because if they pull out, Luke... They probably invested a ton of money in camp. And in TJ's situation, with all the injuries and the long layoffs and that they kind of held up the title for him, he's probably never getting another chance. So I get the situation, but it doesn't mean when you make decisions and make certain key comments that people won't hear that and have their own opinion. And I don't think either of us, or particularly you in this case, were being unfair in that case. Did Errol really say, Luke Thomas, who's that on the air? Somebody was somebody sent me that. Did they, did I, I, they really I don't do that? know. I didn't hear that part, but whatever. I don't care. Yeah. You want a war aerial? Is this what you're trying to do here, man? Um. All right. Uh. So Luke, that happened, but you know, I mean, more people got to read 
Luke Thomas, you know, so I'm I'm happy about. Yeah, that, I'm sure right? I, I I'm sure I won over a lot of people like that. Uh, I'm sure, you caught a lot of followers. Yeah, I'm sure that was that. great. I mean, again, this is not the kind of like uh, you know, like you got to accept it if it happens this way, but it's not the kind of thing I'm looking for. It's just you know, everyone wants to make this a question of like, well, let's just defer to the fighter in this case. But if you have to conceal an injury that significantly, that a, a, an injury that significant that thoroughly through the process and then it immediately fails upon test you know like what do you want what do you, well, I, I, don't know, I don't know i don't know what paid customers people are paying to see a certain level of entertainment that in this case they didn't get and there seem to be reasons that maybe it shouldn't have happened that's the end of story i stand by that's that it. all right look topic number four Hey, good news, boxing fans. It's 2022, and Terrence Crawford and Errol Spence finally went head-to-head -head and fought it out two nights ago <laughs> on Twitter. Uh, Luke, we won't paste all the tweets in their back and forth or Oscar De La Hoya trying to parachute in and take Spence's side. And, look, you know, everybody has a side. At the end of the day, I don't think Spence and Crawford are going to fight each other anytime soon. Errol Spence responded to that long IG video from Crawford. He gave his side of the story. Bud came back. They went back and forth. It's he said, he said till the end. Look, I actually think, give a shout out to Kevin Ioli. I don't always love all of his opinions, but he, he had, a I thought, an excellent column on Yahoo Sports basically saying, look, this summed up what's inherently wrong with boxing. This is a fight that that didn't have large hurdles in theory to to, to clear should have been made, but in this era of, you know, uh, he brought up the biggest point, the, the most clear point in my eyes. Crawford was overpaid for a long time by ESPN on top rank to keep him there and keep him happy. And, you know, whether you believe his side or not, it seems all Spence and Crawford wanted to do in the last 48 hours was continue to point the finger at each other rather than coming to the conclusion of, okay, why don't we get offline, get in the same room, make this work, try to see if we can save it. Luke, after this back and forth, I'm, I mean, I hate to say this as a, as a hardcore boxing fan. And, you know, did, do we believe one side is more at, at fault? Maybe, even if you do. But even separate from that, this is a horrible look. They didn't end that Twitter beef with, hey, let's settle it in the ring. It's just, you're the reason we're not fighting. And, I mean, man, fuck this. Right? This blows. This is terrible. This they went back and forth and back and forth. Uh, it's like, dude. I mean, like, uh, do the fans, again, in theory, the fans, could it happen? Second, like, did anyone get convinced about who was to blame based on how they tweeted? Right? No. no. I mean, look, I, I did like, you know, Spence, I thought, had some good tweets of, you know, not all money is good money. And, and look, you know, the, the, the more you dig on BLK Prime and the people behind it and the history of the bankruptcies. I mean, look, there's there's a lot of reason to believe why an Al Heyman Spence wouldn't want to jump at that. I do think it's interesting what Crawford says about how is there no guarantee on this fight? You know, but again, I think I only said it best. None of us actually are there. None of us have read the contract. None of us have had it. So we can just sit here and basically just watch and eat popcorn at two all-time great boxers exchanging poorly written tweets at one another. Luke, the only good thing about this situation and there's really nothing and, and look uh, uh, you won't hold the same optimism but i do have a shred left of optimism that if crawford if that crawford avanison fight actually happens december 10th and if crawford wins like he should and if spence who kind of indicated in his tweets that he's got another fight lined up let's say it's keith thurman in a big pay-per-view could they still fight next year yeah they probably could i think the bigger question is how ir irreparable is the damage you know monetarily in terms of the public interest but i have very little good news except for this Luke, there's, a, there's an old wise sage in the boxing game that I don't think gets credit for his opinions, the way he puts words together and delivers them, like his ability to put punches together and deliver them. 
Luke, you may be surprised that I'm this entertained by Rolando Romero. You know Roly, right? But, are are uh, we really about to play Roly sound on this show? <laughs> Roly was on this dude's podcast. Should I get this guy's name? What's this guy's name, Luke? I don't, you know? I don't remember. I don't remember. He seemed like a nice guy, but I don't remember his name. Uh, I don't have the guy. We'll, we'll probably see it on the screen there. Roly was on this guy's podcast. And here's what Roly has to say about Spence and Crawford. Let's go to the videotape. What do you think about Crawford Spence not happening? I think Crawford's a pussy. I think Errol Spence Jr. is a pussy, and they're scared of each other. You know, you know how like when you like get like, like, uh, like two chihuahuas, right? And you put one on one side, one on one side, and they just bark at each other. And then when you put them next to each other, they just sit there and look at each other, and they don't do shit. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of what Spence and Crawford is. But honestly, they're 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 both scared of each other. Like they they want to put the blame on on Crawford, and then they want to put the blame on Spence. Uh, I mean, Spence wants to put the blame on Crawford, and Crawford wants to put the blame on Spence. But honestly, between both of them, they're, they're both pussies because if you want to make it happen, you'd make it happen. Like me, at the end of it, I made whatever the fuck I wanted happen. I forced that shit. If I say I do something, I'm going to do it. I don't care. You know, like I said, they're not that interested in, in becoming the four belt division champion, the first ever in history. They're not interested in that. Crawford's a cheap fuck, probably the cheapest motherfucker in boxing history. Like, this motherfucker is cheap. Man, I feel bad for Crawford, man. I really do feel bad for Crawford. He's cheap. He's ugly as fuck. He can't sell a fight to save his fucking life. Luke, there's a lot more in this interview. So it's Harrison Klopp. He follows me on Twitter. I just followed him back, Luke. Shout out to him. He, he works for Fight Guys Media. He did that sit-down interview. Uh, Luke, let's get your reaction first to, to Roly. Uh, is there any truth in his hilarity there and his his deadpan delivery? I mean, Harrison, of, of Klopp, these... Harrison Klopp looks like a re really nice, put-together, you know, media guy out here doing his job, and they look like two completely different like the, the two people could not be more opposites than Harrison Klopp and Roly Ramirez or Roly. What's his last name? I can't remember anymore. Romero. 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 Yeah. Romero, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't want to. Yeah. Do you? I mean, I love Spencer Crawford. You I, know, I will, as say, I will and, say this. Let me ask a question about this, BC. And if I'm wrong, please tell me I'm wrong because I, I you know, I'm, I don't want to overstep in a place where that uh, there's no evidentiary backing for it. But I do wonder about something because there was a constant criticism of Bud being under top rank, getting less lesser than competition. Not every time, but often, right? And the well, argument since moving up to welterweight, well, since we moved to welterweight, one forty-seven. And the idea would be there that like, well, that wasn't his fault because top rank had who they had, and he did what he did. Okay, I can buy that a little bit. But when that happens, and then combined, you're in the middle of a fight. You're free now. You could fight the number one guy. You can have all the belts. It's going to be the biggest fight of your life. To, to leave that negotiating process, take an easier fight with sketchier money, it's like, is there a through line between having easier competition at top rank, he's now older, 35 years old, he's going to be 36 relatively soon, and then going, which is a, you know, uh, seems like a more an easier route, but certainly a, a in terms of the competition, but then like easier money, so to speak. Is there any kind of commonality between those two phenomena? I mean, there might be. I mean, you know, if you're if you're more of the belief again of the stupid debate of who do you back based on either your sourcing or the rumors you hear or just how it looks, you know, I've always never liked that. But you know, through the years, because he gets asked about Spence every interview for about five or six years, kind of rightfully so. You know, ev eventually got to the point through the frustrations of the boxing political system that was just like, I don't care if I ever fight them, and he kind of stuck by that. 
And I feel like he's still kind of leaning on that right now of like, well, things weren't absolutely perfect for me, even though Spence says they gave everything he asked for. Who knows? Uh, but yeah, th this doesn't look great for Crawford. I mean, it doesn't look great to me for anyone, to be fair. But if you're going to take Spence aside, I think there is reasons to point and poke at Bud and be like, we were waiting forever for you to be free. And then you were free and you didn't run right into this fight. And, you know, are there good reasons? Is, is what he says true? Again, like boxing fans shouldn't have to do this, Luke. They shouldn't have to pick sides in some, you know, almost mythical debate at the negotiation table. Like, I'd love if they put boxing negotiations on pay-per-view for like $2.99 and we just got to see them and their representatives go back and forth. But like, they're not going to do that. And then the reality is boxing fans in this modern era, unless you're illegally streaming, uh, has been forced to to pay so much money out to consistently try to follow this sport and the news headlines and the stuff we fill time with on podcasts unfortunately continually becomes the who's working with who who doesn't want to work with who how do we make this fight happen i mean but bud did not get the chance to fight great welterweights he had a fight you know and aftermarket kel brook and amir khan and you know he did beat jeff horn let's give him credit who won the belt from pacquiao and he did you know he fought mean machine and got dropped but beat him but you know, he's lucky he was able to get that chance with Sean Porter, who was allowed to come over by PBC in that moment, which looked to be to set up this, this big fight, and he won that fight, and it was a good fight. But I don't know, Luke. I'm, I'm at the point where I'm really sick of trying to do this. Um, one one, one more know, Ro question. Really crop dusted everybody, and it was funny to watch. I don't agree with everything he said, but if you want to sit here and throw shots at both guys at the end of the day, it's like fans shouldn't have to try to pick who's... Who's telling the truth in a negotiation? They should have to pick who's going to win the fight. That's it, yeah. right? Because they're going to have to pay to watch the fight at the end I of the day. I will say I found something interesting, which was Spence also revealed he wasn't going to get a guarantee. I don't know if I've ever heard of a fight like this magnitude. Either have I. Where there wasn't uh, so some... Like, that, that, is, that, is that a new thing? I'm, I'm not, how common is that? I don't, I don't I don't remember it happening. So again, like I haven't seen the contract. I don't know if we're wrong on how we're picking this out, but... Every that's why I said Wednesday, you know, every time Mayweather fought somebody, you found out what the guarantee for him and, and the opponent was from the commission reports. And obviously both would end up getting a certain amount of negotiated extras, you know, from the pay-per-view results. But I don't understand this either, Luke. So that's why it's like I can't completely be like, no, Bud's wrong here. Let's throw it at him. We're not in the meetings. We're not in that. We don't know. But uh, uh, shout out again to Roley on Harrison Klopp. Luke, I read, I watched the whole interview because I'm a big Roley guy. I think his his humor and delivery is just next level. I mean, the guy's deadpan, brilliant. Um, he dropped major shit piles on Shakur Stevenson, Devin Haney, even Errol Spence. So Luke, he, <laughs> they were like, hey, do you want to fight Ryan Garcia? He went on this like two minute rant of why he doesn't want to fight Ryan Garcia, and then Roley goes. I'm going to wait till welterweight where I'm going to help him work out his retirement plans and knock him the hell out. I mean, the guy's so stupid, but it's perfect and it's hilarious. This is what Roley said. Here's who he wants to fight. Spence right now at welterweight, he wants to smoke. Trevante in a rematch. And then a third opponent he won't reveal. And Roley claims he's coming back in February against an opponent that will make boxing fans angry. But he says... It's the kind of fight that you don't that 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 is hard to make in boxing, and you don't see it too often. Luke, what does that even mean? Are you do you care? I feel like I'm the only boxing fan that loves me some Roley because all my friends I DM or text are like, "Get this guy away from me, dude!" This guy's front row prime entertainment. All right, dude, you love weirdos. I mean, you just—he's my him. kind of weird. Okay, Roley is my kind of weird. All right, I mean, I love a different kind of weirdo, but you love like in your face weirdos. I mean, you just can't get in. I mean, maybe that's why you work with me. I don't really know, but maybe it is. Uh, Luke, okay. Yeah. You love that guy in a way that I just can't understand. 
I'll be your Huckabee. I'll be your Rolly the rest of the way, Luke, okay? Um, final bit of news here. Topic five. We just gave you some boxing bad news. How about some boxing great news? Mike Coppinger of ESPN is reporting that we may see, because the WBC convention is going on this week, I believe in Cancun, the, the rumors are that they are going to make an interim super middleweight title at w, uh, uh, in the WBC at 168, right? Canelo's got all the belts, but he's going to be out a while. And according to the social media channels of both fighters, Caleb Plant and David Benavides have signed on, according to reports, for a pay-per-view bout in January, it's looking like, for the interim title at 168. I don't know if this is Showtime pay-per-view or where this is going. We're just seeing reports here. No one officially has has made the move to announce it. Caleb Plant, though, did put out a fight poster, did show that he's willing to fight right after another. Canelo, Anthony Durrell, now Benavidez. Luke, if people don't know, tell them how great this fight is. This fight. I mean, I am... I'm itching. I'm itching, Luke. Give me that this shit, okay? Is Give it to me. Amazing. This fight is one of the. I mean, yes. In a sea of bad news for boxing, finally we got one made. And I, I didn't even know Benavides was supposed to be fighting Uskategi, and then they that whole thing collapsed. Boy, you want to talk about a? I mean, if 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 if, if Benavides versus Plant is the substitute for that, or Plan B, Plan B ended up being a shit ton better than Plan A. I love. This contest, 168, you have a slickster who just had a phenomenal performance against Andre Durrell's brother, obviously, on the, uh, what was it, the uh, Deontay Wilder card, knocking out his little brother Anthony in a vicious fashion. That was a bit of a grudge match, right? He's been in some grudge matches. Like, he doesn't shy away from it, and he won incredibly with the whole, did the whole gravedigger thing. We've been over that. And then Benavidez has been looking for, like, a big-time opponent, a big-time name. Yes, he's had some transgressions in his career, losing his weight on, or losing his title on the scales and some, you know, some... A recreational drug mishaps and whatnot, but is a combination puncher, fast hands, excellent, action-oriented, moves forward. So you've got a, two guys who basically, and let me just sort of state this, like, you know, outside of the champions, like the real, or the real champion in this weight class, these two guys are people that are largely, like, kind of avoided. And the two avoided guys are now going to meet together in their primes for a shot at, you know, we'll see what happens with this. Obviously, this interim title, but for something where it's like this is a real sorting moment below, just below the championship level in this weight class. It's an interesting style clash, by the way. These two guys fucking hate each other in oh, a real dude, they way. They hate the like they what, hate like the everything shit like, out of each other. Everything you want from a fight, from grudge match to skill to in prime yeah. to like styles make fights. This has everything ticked off. And look, go on YouTube right now, search Caleb Plant and, and David Benavides, and you'll see multiple videos inside gyms over the years of them almost getting into huge brawls and Benavides' brother and father getting involved. I mean, they don't like each other. So, by the way, Caleb Plant is making T-shirts of like comic book covers of him doing the Gravedigger, so he's all in on it. This fight couldn't be more on time, not just because of the Spence uh, Crawford frustration, but look, I mean, Plant just bounced back from that Canelo, respectable Canelo loss with... As good a performance. He, not, not being a puncher, and he went in there and knocked Anthony Durrell, a tough, durable guy, the hell out. And now he's going to go in there in a fight that, like, okay, on paper, style-wise, could this be an uphill battle because Benavides is just a monster? Yes, but Caleb Plant is that slick boxer, and he's a good combination puncher, and he just showed against Durrell that, you know, may not be a power puncher, but if he hits you with a clean combination, he can get you out of there. Uh, him attempting to be the matador to the bull of Benavides is is... 
it, it, that's 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 must see TV. That is great boxing theater. And in this division, on a whole, Canelo's going to come back from injury at some point next year, spring, summer, late spring, summer, whenever. I don't know. We'll see what the landscape is at 175. Will he try to rematch Bivol, or is Bivol going to be heading into better beef? Or is Canelo going to come back and be forced to defend his titles, whatever he has left at 168? Well, you're going to have the winner of this fight. If David Morrell Jr. wins this weekend, you're going to have him. If Jamal Charlo moves up to 168, you're going to have him. Business is picking up, and that is great news. Uh, Luke, those are our five topics of the week. Thank you again to Dean Thomas. But we want to remind people, when you're watching the fights this weekend, whether it's the Showtime championship boxing countdown preliminary fights that we're calling there on the undercard, whether it's UFC, whether it's, you know, anything. You do want to be on the lookout for the risers, the people that are coming the hell on. The hashtag holy hammers, if you will. If you will. If you will. Luke, this month, we are working with our favorite show sponsor, Money Lion. You know, the only money app that you'll ever need. On the brand new segment that we once again talked about on Wednesday, Money Lion loves combat sports. They love the community as much as we do this weird-ass community. So they've decided to, to collaborate with us on what we call the Money Lion Hammer of the Month. The Hammer of the Month could be a boxer, a May fighter, bare knuckler, whatever you got. That's on the main, main card, on the, you know, undercard or kicking off the main card there that might be under the radar. Luke, what should they do if they're watching fights and they see somebody, they go, oh, that's my guy right there. That MK needs to represent that guy. All right, so what we're planning to do is highlight our nominees on the show and pick one winner at the end of every month to reward with an epic hammer trophy that they can show off to their friends and family. So when you are watching fights over the weekend, let us know which fighters deserve this sweet award. Hop onto your go-to social media platform and tell us who you think should be nominated by tagging at Moneylion on Twitter or at Moneylion Inc. on IG and use the hashtag. You can see it on the screen right there. Hammer of the month. Honestly, we'll accept Holy Hammer if you do that as well, but the preferred one is certainly Hammer of the month. And of course, if you're looking for more information about this, real simple, moneylion.com slash morning combat. Yep, so here's what you do. You see an awesome knockout. You see a great performance. On Twitter, tag at Moneylion. On Instagram, tag at, tag at Moneylion Inc., and put that hashtag, Hammer of the Month, Holy Hammer, Holy Balls, Balls Bonanza, however you want to do it. We'll see you. Your vote matters. And somebody's going to get an MK Hammer in their in-hole. Okay, Luke? I mean, inbox. In <laughs> mail slot. Hammer hole. I don't know. But that's it. Luke, a bit of breaking news in the moment here. I got a little bit of it. Here we go. Amanda Lemos, 114 and a half. She's in for Saturday night's UFC main event. And in the co-main, Neil Magny, 170.5. He is also in at welterweight. And what do you think quickly about this fight announcement? Are you ready for this? Ready. You hear about this UFC soul event? It's got soul, Luke. All right? It's going to be Giga Chikadze versus the Korean Zombie, February 4th, Oof. according to at judobetter995. Is this a reputable source? Who's sharing this bullshit? Luke, if this is real, you into this? If it's real, it's great. Tough fight for Korean Zombie, though. Shit. Giga Chikadze is hard nose and has a rough kickboxing style, man. That's a that's a tough fight for a dude who I think is probably close to the end of his run here. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you on that. We should check that out when it comes around in February. All right, Luke, we say a lot of shit that TJ Dillashaw or Uriah Hall or maybe you, the listener, think is absolute bullshit. So to make us stand trial and... Spread our legs across that L. Uh, morningcombat at gmail.com. It's where you enter, where you uh, email your Wednesday fan subs, your Friday 
Dead wrong, so let's do it, Luke. Let's stare into the camera and take our lickings, but you better have a receipt, because this one's called Dead Wrong. <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, here's Matt, who calls himself AKA Street12345. Great handle there, Matt. That's real, real thoughtful. Quick dead wrong for Luke at around the 640 mark in his recent interview with Benil Dariush, which... Folks, we, we, didn't, we didn't plug that at all. YouTube.com slash Morning Combat. Hear from Benny and Luke. Uh, Luke asked Dariush what he attributed his lengthy win streak to. In doing so, Benny said, ever since the Sar uh, Saryukian fight, things have really turned a corner. Or Luke said that, I'm sorry. Yeah, about, hey, Luke, about Islam, not about Benil. Oh, okay. Well, Matt says, Luke, you're dead wrong here. Benny has never fought Armin. Yeah, no shit. Luke, the question's about Islam. It's not about Benil. Luke's bitch-ass geriatric brain must be playing tricks on him. Thanks for all the amazing content over the years. MK for life. And P.S. Shout out to my homies in the live chat, the unsung heroes of the Don community. You mean your racist, misogynistic homies that were trying to get off the internet, Luke? Okay. Go to the dark web with that bullshit. Uh, do you have any message for Matt, a.k.a. Street I'd have to go back and listen, but I believe the point I was trying to make was that if you look at the win streak of Makachev, it's nice. But it wasn't until the Saryukian fight where it really picked up in quality of opponent. Obviously, when we're talking like, you know, obviously he beat Oliveira, but even before he beat Oliveira, that was to me the bit of the demarcation line where he was starting to beat. Again, prior to beating Oliveira, he didn't have a really elite name, but that was the point. And maybe I articulated it confusingly, but I wasn't asking him if he fought Saryukian. I, I didn't, I, I knew he didn't. Although, in fairness, BC, we have been prone to just make up fights that didn't happen. So. I, oh, I can't yeah. be, I, I can't, I can't utterly reject the L, but it's a conditional acceptance. It's like half my DMs are, how do you guys have so much time to watch all of these fights and know what you're talking about? And then the other half of the DMs are, you fucking brain dead idiot. How could, yeah. how could you say that? Which so, is pretty fair. Uh, there you go. Yeah, there you go. We got one more dead wrong and it's also aimed in the direction of LT. It's from Daryl who lives in Saskatoon, Canada, Luke, out there in Brock Lesnar farm country, right? I think that's right. Yeah. I don't know shit about all Saskatoon. Right, yeah, happy Friday, Donks. During the over-under segment on Wednesday's episode, when discussing GSP, Luke stated how George comes from a Shotokan karate background. That's dead wrong. GSP actually was a Kyokushin karate practitioner. Uh, yes, that's right. That's right. While, Shot while they both have similarities, they are different in the rules and areas in which they are allowed to strike. Shotokan is primarily upper body targets, as opposed to the full body attack of that other one that I won't pronounce again. Kyo Great Kyokushin. episode. Yeah, Kyokushin, great episode. And it was nice to see BC rebound from his depressing Monday appearance. Fan for life, Daryl. Well, Daryl, you know, that does open up a real moment, Luke. Sometimes, you know, I mean, more often than not, you're the, the wet old bitch who comes out here all angry. But it happened to me this week. Luke, I'm sorry. I already apologized to the staff. Right? Uh, I'm, I'm cool sorry. with it. Yeah, I, I'll, by the way, I'll accept that L. That L is, is quite fair. Um, I got that right. one wrong. And I was I took an L on Monday. Thank you very much. All right, uh, we love you, Money Lion. We love you, listeners. Dean Thomas, thank you for joining us. Uh, Luke, I can't stress enough that you can get 30 days free of Showtime right now. And why wouldn't you want to to see some championship boxing this weekend? Go to Showtime.com right now. Hey, Bellator's got a few <laughs> pretty damn good cards coming up in the next couple months, right? We got Corey Anderson, Nemkov. We got freaking. Uh, Rafian Stotts and Sabatello are going to do weird things together. This is a couple that you got to see this. So jump on board, get you 30 days free. And don't forget tomorrow, 6.30 p.m. Eastern, the Showtime Championship Boxing preliminary bouts. It's three. And, you know, there's a couple names you got to see in there. Luke and BC on the call. We love doing this. It's a lot of fun. 
We love your feedback. We appreciate that. So check us out. Enjoy. Of course, that all builds toward what we got going on. 8 p.m. Eastern tomorrow, a re-airing of Jake Paul versus Anderson Silva Showtime pay-per-view on regular Showtime, followed immediately at 9, 10 p.m. Eastern by David Morrell Jr. versus Eidos, your Boston Newley for that WBA super middleweight secondary title. Uh, obviously, normally we don't like to promote secondary shit, Luke, but with Canelo out, it's kind of like time for these super middleweights to knock on that door and get involved, get in that business. There it is. Uh, shout out to our great team, Gaff, Mikey Morms. Is Manich Worker here anymore, Luke? I have serious questions. Long Island Luke, I have serious questions about Manich. I don't okay? know. You know I, I love really, that guy. There, he's there when we're there, but if we're like in the studio, but if we're not there, candidly, I feel like he's uh, gone like a fart in the wind. Luke, I'm really working on trying to get Showtime and Malka to let me pick the staff for our shows and our travel trips because, you know, I just love like filthy Phil, but if I petition to get cowboy John from, from Phoenix, uh, into our, into our universe more often, would you be okay with that? Dude, once again, you love just complete weirdos. I mean, the weirdest. It was like, would you, would you describe him as like a local sound guy who showed up and he had like, he was dressed like a, he was dressed like Marty McFly in back to the future part three, right? That's what he was dressed as. It was, it was glorious. Okay. (laughs) Yes, Mikey calls it BC's Island of Misfit Toys. I think that's what MK is, Luke. Okay, that's what it is. That description of him in Back to the Future 3 is fucking hilarious. That's a a great zing. You're ending the show on a high note. I want you to know that. There it is. Can't get any higher unless I've got free deltas, Luke. But uh, any final notes to the people? One more time. You can follow us there on all the socials. It's Morning Combat everywhere you look, uh, including on TikTok. And reminder, 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 if you're so inclined, BC, it's free on the YouTubes, right? Showtime Championship Boxing, 6.30. Catch BC and yours truly on the call. We have a good time with it. It's fun. It's fast moving. And um, yeah, come hang out with us. Yeah, Uh, even TJ Dillashaw is welcome there. All All right, right. Uh, we love you guys. We love you. Please take care of this, guys. It's all you got left at the end of the day. Your family, your health, and this right here, okay? So, uh Look, I talk I talk to a therapist. I'm not afraid to say that. I'm trying to get one. I keep getting rejected. <laughs> they're like, sorry, sir, you're too broken for our standards. They're man. like, they're like, sir, no. you are an irreparably broken piece of shit. Uh, please find another place to go. I mean, time. you did say like, you know, you're like, Am I allowed to vape during the whole session? They're like, Yeah, nah, no. They're no, like, no, no, you can't no. do that. I'm like, well, I'll right. get the fuck out of my life. All right. Uh fantastic stuff. YouTube.com slash morning combat for more, including Benio Dariu. So check that out. He he breaks down how it would look. Darius versus Mahachev. I think it's an interesting topic during during this season of fight making. That's it. Two more words for you on the way out, guys. We out.